It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get arrest! No! They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is a new show for the Sports Loud Mouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, which is WWSRN. Or you can search the Android PlayStation, and all you have to do is search us at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, how was your Easter, my friend? It was it was pretty good. Unfortunately, could not go home because my brother Aiden came down with COVID. My grandparents and I were originally going to go there, but that didn't happen. We wanted to protect them, keep them safe. So we had our own little Easter dinner. My uncle came over. We had some turkey, mashed potatoes, some good stuff there. Hope everyone else listening out there had a great Easter. Uh, shout out to my brother, Aiden. Hopefully he gets better soon. And also shout out to my uncle, Sid, who was his, has his birthday yesterday as well. Unfortunately, Speedy, my holiday wasn't as great as yours. On Thursday, I found out one of my family members uh, passed away. And I've been dealing with a lot of stuff throughout the weekend, planning everything with my family. So my Easter wasn't as great as it was for everybody else, but I hope everybody had a merry, yes, a merry Easter. And not a merry Christmas, but a merry Easter. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys. A little bit later, we will be talking to former athletic Met and giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. He'll be joining us at 1015. Really excited. We haven't had Bruce on the show for about two years. I definitely want to see what's going on in his life and what he's doing in his career moving forward. But hopefully it's going very well for this man. So <laughs> he's playing in Mexico now. Actually. Oh, good. I'm happy we're going to get him on the show. He absolutely is an interesting fellow and I'm sure you all are going to like him. He's a good personality. We are going to get into the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, as they choked in game number one against the Boston Celtics. We will definitely get into that first. Uh, we will get into the Phoenix Suns, uh, the dominance of the Phoenix Suns so far throughout the playoffs. And, and really why I still believe Chris Paul is the best point guard in this generation. Yes, in this generation. Uh, we'll get into numbers and giving you guys some information on why we think Chris Paul is the best point guard in the NBA. We will get into the Golden State Warriors series, which they're just absolutely dominating. Uh, Jordan Poole is becoming a superstar right in front of our eyes. His third year has been unbelievable. Taking over for Steph Curry after he had his injury later in the year, and uh, he's been fantastic. You can see the difference, what this Golden State Warriors team is with Steph Curry in the lineup. So we will get into Golden State, the Utah Jazz, and Dallas Mavericks series. Yes, and the New York Knicks and Worldwide West was hanging out uh, over there in Dallas with uh, Julius, a.k.a. Boring Randall. <laughs> 
and Allen Houston. And obviously they're scouting. Why is Julius Randle scouting for the New York Knicks? I, I think he needs to scout out how he doesn't hit bricks. Just trying all to the scout time. out which players he's not going to pass to. Um, that's probably true. Uh, so uh, obviously the, the Knicks are interested in Brunson. Uh, Jalen Brunson, who's a fantastic player, a point guard who is a free agent this year. And it's going to be very interesting what the Knicks are going to do at the point guard position in the offseason. And obviously, Donovan Mitchell, who's been really trying to push himself out of Utah. And why not go to his hometown favorite, New York Knicks, who they should have drafted him in a couple of years ago with Phil Jackson running the show at number four. Was he the 14th pick? He was the 13th pick. There you go. Again, nobody said Phil Jackson was the brightest. Nobody said he was the brightest. He might be a good coach, but a terrible GM. And he yeah. likes to fall asleep. Yes, he loves to fall asleep. Draft party. Yeah. And he fell asleep during some practices, too. And mm. uh, just dreamt of how the triangle offense would still be good in today's NBA. No, well, obviously it didn't. But anyways, uh, so we'll get into everything that's going on in the NBA uh, we will get into baseball. The New York Yankees can't hit. They're right now hitting 176 in men in scoring position. Uh, this is the same old Yankees. Uh, the only person that's really hitting and, and hitting consistently is Donaldson, who everybody couldn't believe that Brian Cashman brought in. So I have no idea why everybody hated the Donaldson move, and he looks like he's the only person hitting the ball. But I mean, John Carlos Stanton is also hitting the ball. I think he has nine RBIs or eight RBIs. And Rizzo, if he doesn't make any mistakes on the base pads, he's been pretty damn good. So we will get into the Yankees' flaws, and we'll get into the Mets, of course, who are playing fantastic baseball right now. They're hitting in men in scoring position. They're, Finally! They're pitching. They have their bullpens actually playing well the last past week. So the Mets are flying and really hitting on all cylinders. We're one week away from the draft at four, interviewing Kevon Thibodeau. And is he the guy for the New York Jets? The New York Jets, the New York Giants, what are they going to do? Boxing, obviously, Errol Spence wins. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about the Rangers moving forward into the playoffs, which is about a week away from the playoffs. So, And the Islanders looking to the offseason. But let's get into the Brooklyn Nets. And I, I, I know a lot of people wanted to see Kyrie Irving when he steps foot in the Boston Garden again. I absolutely wanted to see what the fans were going to do to this guy, especially telling the Boston Celtics that he was going to stay there, he was going to re-sign with the Boston Celtics and move forward in his career and finish with the Boston Celtics. Then all of a sudden, the season ended and stories were coming out that he was interested in going to the Knicks. And then... Obviously, heads over there to Brooklyn with his good friend, Kevin Durant. You, you think of Kyrie Irving, and, and you remember all the stupid things he said <laughs> over the years. And he said a lot of stupid things, and he admitted it with the whole COVID-19 and him being out of the home games and not playing any basketball because, obviously, he did not want to get the vaccination. So he was on Instagram speaking about his thoughts of what's going on in the world. and some of the stupid things he said in the past. And we all know that Kyrie Irving at one point thought the earth was flat, okay? And sometimes I really think that Kyrie Irving is not using his brain, and his brain is flat. Sometimes. <laughs> but on Sunday, Kyrie Irving showed up in the Boston Garden and played his butt off. He was fantastic. He was passing the ball. He was scoring at will. 
and the Nets fell apart really early in the game. And Boston took a big lead going into the second half. And then Kyrie Irving took over. Not Kevin Durant. Not anybody else on the court for the Brooklyn Nets. It really was Kyrie Irving and a little bit of Seth Curry. A little bit. Kyrie Irving showed everybody why he is a superstar. Why he's a clutch player. And why everybody believed he wanted to build a team around himself and Kevin Durant. But I don't know what Kevin Durant was doing. Maybe he was hanging out, playing with his new Twitter accounts. <laughs> Maybe he was over there watching Golden State play. I don't know what the hell he was doing on Sunday. But his numbers showed you why Kevin Durant didn't show up on Sunday. 41 minutes, 23 points, four rebounds, and three assists. For a guy that really has been a playoff player since he's come into this league. When he was with OKC, when he went to Golden State, and even last year when he played for Brooklyn and took a Game 7 against Milwaukee and almost won it by himself. But if Kevin Durant is not scoring, where are they getting the scoring against this Boston Celtic team, which was the number one defense throughout the league all season long? And with a player like Tatum, who was fantastic, Jason Tatum, he really didn't play as well as you would think that he would show up in the first game of a series. But in the second half, Jason Tatum, when you needed to see him take over a game, he took over a game. And everybody's going to remember that game because it was the game of the week. And it also was a statement game that the Boston Celtics are not going away. This is not going to be an easy series and that they are the favorites of winning this series. Old man Al Horford showed up. 20 points, 15 rebounds. Fantastic game. And Al Horford has proven year in and year out over the years. And he's an old man, but he has proven year in and year out he could play in the playoffs and be a dominant force in the paint. And I know everybody looks at Jalen Brown's numbers. They didn't really stand out. But scoring 23 points in 40 minutes, it's not too shabby. And Marcus Smart, congratulations to him, Defensive Player of the Year. I was wrong about him. I, I looked at his numbers. I really didn't think he was going to win the Defensive Player of the Year. I was wrong. He has had a fantastic season, especially in the second half, the way he was defending bigger, bigger players, the power forwards, even the centers he was defending at certain games. You look at this Boston Celtic team, when Williams comes back, this team is going to be very hard to beat. Now, there are stories coming out of Brooklyn, Speedy, that Ben Simmons might be coming back. If Ben Simmons comes back, this series might be a very interesting series moving forward. Absolutely. It seems like Ben Simmons is going to be the depth X factor that the Nets absolutely need because the Nets' lack of depth really showed in game one. When Kevin Durant was off, yeah, he had 23 points, but he was very inefficient in that game, minus 13 overall, too. Then they need somebody else to step up. And who's your next highest scorer? Goran Dragic? I mean, that's not really something to trust. Now, Ben Simmons is going to provide the level of scoring, but he still is going to provide that level of defense to stop the Celtics from getting 20 points from Al Horford, like you're saying, an old man, and 20 points from Marcus Smart, who's not known as an offensive player. Jeff calls us all the time and says he doesn't deserve hands to shoot a basketball, yet he had 20 points. So that just shows you everything you need to know about the Nets. Ben Simmons was practicing with limited contact earlier today. 
he will be out for game two definitively, but there are thoughts that he might come back for game four in Brooklyn. So they're definitely going to need that. As far as Kyrie Irving, he definitely made a statement in this game, 39 points, five rebounds and six assists in this game. Also at four steals, which Kyrie Irving's not known for his defense, but he definitely showed up in that game gave it to those Boston crowd that was oh, heckling him. Boos were crazy. All the boos, all the bad language, all, all the uh, oh flipping off of the, uh, the, the courtside seats. I mean, it was just a, a was combination. He fined? Was the NBA yes, fined? They Did fined they him $50,000. But yeah, he was two different instances of Kyrie Irving flipping off Boston fans. There was a, there was no racism apparently, which is I guess is a good sign for Boston fans as we've seen that in the past too with Kyrie Irving with the Red Sox fans. So there was none of that, but there was a lot of bad language being thrown around, and Kyrie Irving made him pay. He was the most dominant player in that game by far. Second half was especially great in that whole stretch where it seemed like he was the only one leading that run to get the Nets back in the game. Because like you were saying, the, the Celtics were dominating the pace of play and just the quality of basketball throughout that first half. So Kyrie Irving took over, made that game close, and just the Nets defense and depth really let them down. Oh, the defense was horrible. And Kyrie Irving has a lot to be blamed for at the end of the game. How could you let Tatum go all the way to the hole with what? One point something seconds right, left. And a really tough pass for Marcus Smart. He had to really pass it across the court, pretty much. I mean, if he placed his body right in front of the paint, right in front of that, right in front of that square, I mean, he would have been an offensive foul, and the game would have been over. But Kyrie Irving is not known for his defense, and Kevin Durant, as well and as good as Kevin Durant plays, Kevin Durant plays every single game. He does. He just didn't show up in this game. I don't know what was going on in his head. He was forcing three pointers, and and that's not Kevin Durant's game. It's it's never been his game. So it's interesting when you watch this game, Speedy, and you you question some of the coaching and the timeouts by Steve Nash in the second half of the game, especially when Boston went on that run. They went on that run in the third quarter where you you question what Steve Nash was doing. Yeah, you saw a lot of it too, where Steve Nash was also playing a lot of weird lineups at certain points in time too. Just small. To, he was playing small. Playing too small at times. Trying to take advantage, I guess, of the Celtics still big depth that they have too. Guys like Daniel Theis and Grant Williams, guys like that, and Horford especially that played well in that game. And the Nets really didn't have an answer for that too. And it worked as some stretches where they had potent offenses, but that was really all Kyrie Irving. It's not like the whole these bench players went off in that game either. So definitely some questionable decisions. The coaching battle is something that I always thought was going to be a big factor of determining winning that series. You have a rookie coach on the Celtics side, in Udoka, and then you have Steve Nash, who we always thought of as more of a figurehead type coach, just a guy that's really going to work well with the players, work well with Kyrie Irving, stuff like that, more than anything else, because we've seen Kyrie Irving have a bad history with different coaches over the years in Cleveland and Boston with Brad Stevens, who was one of the best coaches in the NBA at that time. So, so just trying to bring someone that could make it comfortable for him to want to stay and play there, because we know Kyrie Irving could jump ship at any time. And the Nets shot very, very well. I mean, if you look at the field goal percentage, they were 53.8% to the Boston Celtics, 47.2%. So this game, and and I, I I will say this, both teams shot very well at the three-point line. They really did. I think the Nets shot better at the three-point line than, than the Boston Celtics did. So you would think that going into this game that the Nets, would all they would have to do is play a little bit of defense, a little bit of defense. They can keep up offensively against this Boston Celtic team. Now, I believe the two best players in this series is still on the Brooklyn Nets. I think Kyrie Irving, when he's playing at the top of his game, is one of the best prolific offensive players in the league. And then you have Kevin Durant. We know what Kevin Durant is offensively. He's fantastic. So, and listen, 
we we've seen what Tatum has done in the playoffs. He shows up some games and he disappears. Jalen Brown, he has never been a good playoff player. So we going into this series, we all thought that the Brooklyn Nets with the two best players in this series obviously had the advantage with the talent up front. But all in all, I think the Boston Celtics, Speedy, have the most depth on the bench. It's also the playoff identity for the Celtics that have been there a lot. The Nets have been kind of in and out bringing all these new players. Yes, they've had playoff appearances with some of their other teams. Andre Drummond, they, who they brought in from the 76 I mean, what's his playoff experience? Being one and done as seven and eight seeds with Detroit? I mean, it's not much. Patty Mills, I guess, has the most with the Spurs being there a lot. And then Goran Dragic a couple years. But beyond that, a lot of their guys really haven't had that kind of experience, too. And if it's so, it's very limited portion. Whereas the Celtics, they've kind of built this squad together, developed it. Yeah, a new coach that was the one thing that worried me coming into the series where are they going to get enough offense but they definitely got more than enough offense in this game from that core four in that game even missing even in stretches too where Kai, uh, Jason Tatum was the only one scoring too they had other guys be able to pass the ball the system worked and the Nets at some stretches especially with Kevin Durant it seemed like they were relying on just so much talent all at once and we know more than anything, isolation basketball has shown not to work in, in terms of winning in the playoffs either. It's rare that you see like one guy really take over in this day and age outside of maybe LeBron James, where you're going to have that, say, isolation basketball, have it work to win championships. Hence the reason why the Nets' former coach and James Harden's former coach, Mike D'Antoni, never does well in the playoffs. Speaking of James Harden, ladies and gentlemen, he has not looked good in the playoffs. He has not. The first two games, he has not shown up. And we all know that James Harden is not a playoff player. He was never a playoff player, ever really since... Real, really since his first his, year. Yeah, his first year. Okay, see. Now, when you look at the big picture and you look at where Philadelphia is, they have Embiid, and Joel Embiid has been a fantastic player. Some people think he's MVP of the league. I question it because I think the Greek freak the last, really, month was the best player on the court. So I really believe he's going to win the MVP. But Joel Embiid ha throughout this season has been fantastic, averaging close to 30 points. He's been a rebounder. He's been a passer. He's been a leader of that team. And I am not a Doc Rivers fan. I've never <laughs> been a Doc Rivers fan. But Doc Rivers has been a proven coach in the playoffs. He's won a championship with the Boston Celtics. Uh, give it that he had Kevin Garnett on the team and give it that he had Paul Pierce on a team. We won't forget Ray Allen. But all in all, this Philadelphia team going into the series, this was going to be a close matchup with Toronto, and it just hasn't been bit speedy. It hasn't. Yeah, and they've overcame the James Harden deficiencies as a result, too, with guys like Tyrese Maxey playing as well as they have in this series. Uh, you have Tobias Harris, who stepped up in game two. I know you're not a big fan of him, and he did no. have a down season for his standards, but still had a very good game in game two against, a, again, a good Toronto Raptors Do defense. you know why I don't like Tobias Harris? No, I don't. You actually never explained the exact reasoning. <laughs> Tobias Harris is from Long Island, New York. Where are we from? Yes, that's we, what you mentioned that. We yes. are from Long Island, New York. Now, I am a DJ. And I have met Tobias Harris more than numerous amount of times. And in Huntington, ladies and gentlemen, I had the opportunity to meet him, hang out with his buddies. And to me, he was a very selfish person. And he's always been that way on the court and off the court. I have friends that have played pickup games with Tobias Harris. And before he became an NBA player, he was as selfish as he was playing in a pickup game, as well as he has been selfish as an NBA player. I never liked Tobias Harris, and I've interviewed Tobias Harris before. So even though he's a Long Island native, and I think he's a good player, 
He got overpaid by the Philadelphia 76ers. I've been saying that forever. And this team as a whole, besides Joel Embiid, has not played well all season long. And Maxi, he's been fantastic as well. But besides those two players, James Harden has, since he's been over there, you've seen sparks where you could say that James Harden is the player that we remember him as on Houston. But in the big game and on the big level and in the big time, he is not that player. Yeah, and we also saw him being more of a facilitator role in this game too as well. He didn't shoot as much, and I think that's been a lot of the problems he's had in the past with the Rockets especially, where he was shooting too much and shooting his teams out of games. He only attempted nine field goals in this game, made eight free throws, so he still was scoring a good amount at the free throw line, but still only had 14 points in this game, but did have six assists, which was second on the Philadelphia 76ers after Maxi also had three steals in this game, which uncharacteristic for him. We always make the joke. Oh, James Harden's the worst defensive player in basketball. James Harden doesn't play defense, blah, blah, blah. But he actually showed up a little bit in this game too, because Toronto had some trouble shooting on the perimeter, especially in the second quarter of that game too. It's not like they have bad perimeter shooters. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, even Gary Trent are, are good three point shooters and none of them showed up. And James Harden, I guess gets a little credit for that too, but still not being used in a big volume type role. And for a team offense, you definitely could see that helping the Sixers in this game where he was the fourth leading scorer in this game. And as a team, they looked very efficient. Siakam has to score at least 30 points a game for this this team, Toronto, to be in this series. Tyrese Maxey has been fantastic. He scored 30 points in the first game. He has played at the top of a level where you don't even look at him as a young player, a rookie type of player. He has been a very important piece to this Philadelphia 76ers team. Now we've seen Doc Rivers work with young players and develop young players over the years. So it's not something that we haven't seen from Doc Rivers, but Tyrese Maxey is becoming a star right in front of our eyes. And Siakam, who I think is a fantastic player. He's a dunker. He's a guy that could shoot perimeter shots. He's not a three point shooter. He has to be playing on all cylinders for this team to even compete with the 76ers. I believe this matchup boded well, for the 76ers and not the Toronto Raptors. So going into this series, I thought there was a huge advantage, even without James Harden playing at the top of his game, which we all knew it was a hit or miss if he's going to show up or if he's not going to show up. And so far we've seen nothing but bricks. As we talk about Julius Randle in the playoffs last year, we could say the same for James Harden. And we talk about the former Sixer, Ben Simmons, in the playoffs at the free throw line. Mm -hmm. All he shot was bricks, and the Sixers do not have that kind of problem in this game because Tyrese Maxey knows how to shoot, and Joel Embiid knows how to shoot, and sometimes James Harden knows how to shoot in the playoffs. That's sometimes? A, sometimes. I, I would say never, but that's just me. Well, seven for eight for the free throw line. That was most of his points in this game. I mean, so. me and you can hit free throw shots. I mean, it's not rocket science for a guy that's making over 160, 170 million. Well, Ben Simmons is making that too, and he still knows to know how to shoot. Oh, let's throws. let's not talk about Ben Simmons. Uh, <laughs> well, he overpaid Ben <laughs> yes. Simmons. Well, well, yeah, we're talking about who's the suing the 76ers for twenty million. Don't well, that's a whole that. other that's a whole other problem. Nobody said the Sixers front office was the brightest either. But... No, nobody <laughs> thinks they're. Uh, but, no, but then again, the, the Sixers front office looks a lot better in comparison to the Nets front office. Mm, which interesting. Had their own form of deja vu, and if they lose Kyrie Irving Billy, and Kevin Durant, Billy, where are you? You know who I'm talking about, Billy yeah. King. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as Sean Marks needs. This series, if 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 he believes he's going to keep his job moving forward, he needs to win this series. He needs to knock off this Boston Celtic team. But Philadelphia up to nothing in that series. How about Miami in, against Atlanta? Atlanta did not show up offensively, and they depend too much on Young. If if they're not scoring 
on in, in every category, getting to the hole and shooting the three, they don't have a chance against this Miami Heat team, who is a lot of people's favorite to come out of the East. Yeah. Trey Young was held to one field goal in this game and zero three-point field goals. When do you ever hear that about Trey Young? That is a defensive clinic by the Miami Heat. Just eight points in that game. Mostly all of them are at the free throw line. Mm. Their leading scorer was Danilo Gallinari mm. with 17 points. Ex-Nick. Yes, mm-hmm. ex-Nick. Traded, traded for Carmelo yes, Anthony. Yes. About to say that. We'll never the, forget about that. Traded in the mellow deal. Meanwhile, the Heat show what they have in terms of actual legitimate depth. Once again, they've had it all year overcoming injuries. They've done very well with Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, both the 20 plus points in this game. PJ Tucker, not normally known for an offensive player at 16 points. And that shows a lot about having great depth and great coaching to make that kind of thing work. Eric Spolster was a finalist. I don't think he'll win coach of the year because of the two in the Western conference, but show what he'd done all year managing those injuries. And then there's Milwaukee and, and we expect this series to be very quick for Milwaukee. I, I know the Bulls had a very good season. At one point, they were in first place for a significant yep. amount of time, and they just fell apart in the second half of the season. Now, I think Billy Donovan's a great coach in the NBA, and he's got some good players. There are a lot of good players on the Chicago Bulls team. I just think DeRozan, in the second half of the season, where he was one of the best players in the league in the first half, MVP candidate, has fallen out of the MVP voting, and the Chicago Bulls fell out of being a dominant force in the playoffs, and that's why they're matched off against the Milwaukee Bucks, who are Uh, A very big team, a very strong team, and probably the best player in the NBA right now with Giannis. So I I think that this team, if the Milwaukee Bucks play as well as they did offensively, like they did last year in the playoffs with Middleton and Giannis and the other players in the bench that they have, and play the defense that they're strong at, this team could really make a repeat this year. It's weird to think that at the All-Star break, the Bulls were actually a number two seed and Milwaukee was a number five seed. It's unbelievable. And now all of a sudden it's flip-flopped and this seems like it's going to be the most lopsided series just with the amount of depth that Milwaukee has. And Chicago really has been reliant on their top three players as a whole and haven't had that same level of depth like they did in the first half of the season where guys like Kobe White were playing well, Alex Caruso, even Nikola Vucevic, who's been a journeyman. He played well. He played well in that game. But I mean, it's a steady hole for the second half. It's really been only those guys, Levine, really doing well, and DeRozan kind of struggling. He's also hurt. Same. Levine has been hurt yeah, all season long uh-huh. with his hands. Right. So, so that doesn't help in terms of the load management situation. You got a guy like DeRozan who we had many different basketball guests on the show say he was a sleeper MVP candidate at that time when we were debating if it was Steph Curry and Kevin Durant at that time. And Giannis was kind of a distant third at that time. And then DeRozan was everybody's sleeper. And then Giannis all of a sudden has this big second F surge. Now he could win MVP and DeRozan's nowhere near the MVP picture. He had a really bad second half was inefficient in this game as well. The playoff DeRozan that we know has had a lot of trouble with Toronto when other guys that were part of the very good core that Toronto had for a while were doing well. He was the one shooting the amount of games a lot of the time too. So you could definitely see that difference in that series and just the depth from Milwaukee. Giannis obviously went off with 27, 16 and three, but he also had Drew Holiday, Middleton, even somebody like Bobby Portis double, double off the bench as well. He's been playing very well in the second half too. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the Western conference as Chris Paul is dominant, and yes, being the dominant player that he is, why we believe Chris Paul has been the best point guard in this generation and one of the greatest point guards of all time. When we get back, we will get into the Phoenix Suns and everything that's going on in the Western Conference here on the Sports Lab Notes. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths.
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Lab Now. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy PD. 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, the Kardashians are on Hulu now. Oh, boy. <laughs> Not a big deal. And Pete Davidson doesn't want to show himself in the limelight with Kim Kardashian. So why not get into the limelight of Chris Paul, who a lot of people have disrespected Chris Paul throughout the NBA, and not because he's not Steph Curry, okay? Not because he hasn't been Russell Westbrook over the years, who has been horrible, by the way, this year. But defining what he has done in not just five years, seven years, but what he has been doing since he stepped on this court in the NBA since he was a college player at Wake Forest. But not only that, I remember years and years ago who we were trying to compare the best point guards in the NBA to Chris Paul. And there was really only one other guy that we can compare Chris Paul to at that point. And that was Deron Williams, who played for the Utah Jazz. And then obviously was traded to the Brooklyn Nets and did absolutely nothing. Couldn't stay healthy, even when he got his extension. Over the years, Chris Paul has not been a healthy player. He hasn't been. And he's gone from one team to another team, to another team, to another. But that doesn't define him. And over the years, he's never won a championship. As good of a point guard he has been since he stepped on the courts in the NBA, he's never won a championship. And last year, he finally played in an NBA Finals and came up short against a great Milwaukee team. This year, the Phoenix Suns have been dominant. And one of the main reasons of their dominance is really Chris Paul. Now, you're going to see his numbers. They don't really stand out when you look at his numbers. Okay? I, I mean, obviously, 14 points a game, 10 assists a game, and four rebounds. It doesn't stand out as a superstar player. But there's a lot of things that Chris Paul does that you don't see on the court. He is the leader of that defense. He is the leader of the offense. He has made everybody around him better. And as good as Steph Curry has been over the years, where everybody says he's a top five point guard already of all time, which is ridiculous. Some lists even had him two. <laughs> Chris Paul has done this not on just one team, but four. Speedy, you picked up a number and you found you 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 researched some numbers this past weekend. And what numbers pop up to you? Okay, so the stat was outside of OKC. The other four teams he was on, the Hornets, the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Suns, all four teams have had their regular season franchise record in wins when Chris Ball has been on that team. And what does that tell you, ladies and gentlemen? That tells you that Chris Paul is one of those players that can jump ship to another team, and there's only a few, LeBron James. There's nobody in the league that could jump ship and go to another team and change an organization like Chris Paul and LeBron James has done. And Chris Paul is never respected amongst LeBron James's stature. He's not even compared to Steph Curry. Everybody thinks he, Steph Curry's better than him. And Phoenix, they're playing the Pelicans, okay? And they're up one nothing. Chris Paul was a dominant force in that game where the Pelicans had a chance to win that game. Mm -hmm. Without Chris Paul, the Phoenix Suns lose that game. But leadership, understanding how to score in the clutch, 
is what Chris Paul does. And that's what makes Chris Paul so special. And I just don't, I don't understand why nobody, Speedy, gives this man the respect that he deserves. Yeah, the team value aspect of Chris Paul is something that a lot of these stats, these scoring numbers aren't going to show you in terms of what Chris Paul has done with just new teams. Even OKC, I didn't mention OKC in the franchise record graphic because they didn't have the win total, but that team was supposed to be the second or third worst team in the Western Conference that season. And they made the playoffs with Chris Paul with their second best player being Dennis Schroeder. So they go to a Suns team now that made the bubble playoffs and lost as a 10 seed. And they had no playoff experiences before that. The second longest playoff job in the NBA. First year he's there. Elevates them to the finals. I'm not saying he's the only player. They have Devin Booker. They have DeAndre. And they have great depth. But his leadership, his value on the court, his play style really works for that kind of thing. And in this game one against the Pelicans, you nailed it. Without Chris Paul going off the way he did in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans were surging. They cut it to within six. They cut it to within single digits in many different stretches. They were playing some great defense. And the other guys weren't playing well in those bench units. They were being outplayed by the Pelicans bench units, which are filled with a lot of rookies. But if Chris Paul doesn't have that clinic that he put on in the fourth quarter, the Suns get upset in that game. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the question marks of, oh boy, another one seed that could look vulnerable. Chris Paul finishes that game with a near triple-double, 30 points, had 10 assists, 7 rebounds. And throughout the regular season, yeah, you want to say that his quote-unquote numbers were not flashy or not great, he still led the league in assists per game. So, yeah, whoever's saying he's still not a good point guard anymore, yeah, you got to take that back. And then there's Dallas and Utah. And I, I will say this. Uh, World Wide West shows up there. Julius Randle, <laughs> Allen Houston. I don't know why Julius Randle's there. Maybe, we don't even know if Julius Randle's going to be there. Maybe he's year. the latest ex-Nick to go to Dallas. <laughs> Who knows? But he's recruiting players. Now, we all know that the Knicks like Jalen Brunson. That we've, we've known this since last year, that the Knicks were trying to go after him throughout the season last year at the trade deadline. They couldn't – they couldn't – they couldn't uh, – what's the word? Trade for him. No, no, no. They couldn't scoop him up. And now you have – <laughs> you have Julius Randle over there. What is he going to say to him? I mean, oh, I'm a bricklayer, so you can help me out on the court. You can actually pass me the ball so I keep hitting those bricks. R.J. Barrett should have been there at the game with Allen Houston. Are they thinking about trading R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell, who's playing in that series as well? That would be a dumb move by the New York Knicks if they trade R.J. Barrett. You look at the Utah Jazz in this series, they should win this series. What Jalen Brunson did in game number two was fantastic. He scored 40 points. And I know everybody looks at it. Dallas is the fourth seed, and the Utah Jazz is the fifth seed. But all in all, the Utah Jazz has more talent on their team than the Dallas Mavericks. All season, underwhelming expectations put on them so far. They were supposed to be a top three seed in the West and finish as a number five seed. And it's not like they were really dealing with a lot of injuries like a lot of the other teams. You look at a team like the Denver Nuggets who were missing Jamal Murray all year and Michael Porter for much of the season, and they ended up finishing as a sixth seed. Okay. You look at Golden State. They were up and down with the injuries they had. Klay Thompson came back late, and they still finished as a three seed. Utah didn't really have that kind of problem. It was just a lot of just 10 with Mitchell and Gobert again, Mitchell forcing his way out. Now there's rumors their coach could be fired at the end of the year if they don't make the 
Western Conference Finals, which the way they're playing against this Mavericks team that is not overly deep, it doesn't look good for them. Now the series, yeah, they switch back home now. But even that hasn't really been a home court advantage for them in the playoffs either. And they need to be able to establish themselves as the more talented team. We know they have the depth. And Utah is now coming to the point where it seems like they're one of those teams that are just a better playoff identity when they're the underdogs. Look at the early part of their Mitchell's tenure in the league. They were winning playoff series. They were beating the Clippers. They were hanging tough with Golden State. They were beating some good teams. And now all of a sudden, when they're a higher seed, they're a team that should be winning. They struggle against teams like the Mavericks. Look at last year. The Clippers without Kawhi Leonard, they blew a 2-0 series lead against. So they should have won that series. Whether they would have beaten the Suns, we'll see. But they should be playing a lot better than they are. And Jalen Brunson, shout out to him, the way he played 41 points, eight rebounds, five assists in that game. Definitely saw that championship pedigree you saw when he was at Villanova, Mm -hmm. really carrying over to the NBA playoffs. And the Utah Jazz firing their coach will not keep Donovan Mitchell happy over there. No, it won't. If anything, it'll push him out even further. So it doesn't make any sense. We all understand what Dallas is. The Dallas Mavericks really run wherever Luka Doncic runs to. So we know what this team is made of. We know what this team is capable of. But the Utah Jazz are the better team. They're the better all-around team and the better coach team. There's no more Rick Carlisle there. He's in Indiana. Jason Kidd. (laughs) Are you going to bet your money on Jason Kidd in a playoff series? Come on, guys. I like Jason. I like him as a player. He's one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. If you were to sit here today and say, you know what? I'm going to bet this series. Jason Kidd is going to out-coach Quinn Snyder in a series, I would be laughing at you. This is the same Jason Kidd that with a very similar Milwaukee Bucks roster could only get them to at most a six seed in those playoff series. Yeah, they didn't play horribly, but still, this is a Bucks team since that's been a top three seed every other round since Mike Budenholzer's taken over. So Jason Kidd, not exactly the brightest of coaches. And Quinn Snyder, we've seen them do well as the underdogs of the best, and he should be the better coach and has not shown it all year. They've blown a lot of leads. I believe among the Western Conference playoff teams, they have the most blown double-digit leads, Mm -hmm. which does not bode well for a playoff identity. And the Dallas Mavericks, again, they have a good core, but they don't have a lot of depth, kind of like we were saying with the Nets. If those guys get shut down, they don't have a lot off the bench that could help them. But if you have somebody like Jalen Brunson going off, you might not need it. And then there's the Minnesota-Memphis Grizzlies game. Uh, And then there's the the Minnesota and Memphis Grizzlies series. And Memphis, who was a surprise all season long, the number two seed going into this series, uh, John Moran, who I believe is definitely an MVP candidate. The fact that he's not up for the top three, it's crazy for what he has done all season long. I think he's averaged almost 29 points a game. He has been the face of that organization moving forward. And remember how good – the Memphis Grizzlies were years mm-hmm. and years ago. Grit and grind the Grizzlies. I love those teams. Yes. And and now they're a fast-paced team that likes to go up and down the courts and show you how athletic they are. Minnesota, in game number one, played fantastic. Anthony Edwards was fantastic in the game. Carl Anthony Towns showed you why he's one of the best centers in the league. And, and by the way, you know who I'm talking about. A point guard that was pushed out of the Brooklyn Nets organization, Speedy Please. D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> who was the face of the fourth quarter on the reason why Minnesota won game number one. It was D'Angelo Russell. And he's been pushed out over the years saying that he is not a clutch player. He's not that talented player that we saw when he came from Ohio State. 
and and we've seen glimpses when he was over there in Brooklyn. He we saw glimpses of greatness. He was an All Star that year. Then he gets traded to the Timberwolves, and everybody was questioning why he was traded to the Timberwolves. And now look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing right now in Minnesota. You could definitely see the team value as well. Kind of like we were saying with Chris Paul, be elevated. He also was in Golden State for a while too. And when Steph Curry was hurt, Clay Thompson was hurt. He had glimpses of that there too, where the team should have been a lot worse than it was. And they took him to higher heights. And Minnesota this year, they didn't have a lot of big expectations. We were talking about Carl Anthony Towns getting traded in the offseason and them just trying to start from scratch. They have all these high draft picks that haven't worked out. I forgot the Nets traded him to Golden State. That's right. He went to Golden State and then he went to Minnesota. Golden State uh, traded him to Minnesota. For Wiggins. Yes. Yes. And now I now I got it. I yeah. got it. So I forgot about that. So the team value aspect still was being elevated by this. Now you could say veteran point guard. He's still on the younger side, but veteran point guard. They ended up leading him to the highest scoring team in the NBA. Memphis is a couple points behind in terms of decimal points. These are the two highest scoring teams, but Minnesota finished number one for that reason. And they showed it in the playoffs too. Anthony Edwards, 36 points, two rebounds, and six assists in that game. Carl Anthony Towns with a double-double. He showed why he's arguably one of the best big men in the NBA. And Memphis, you wonder if it's one of those things where they kind of took him lightly. You saw the Grizzlies, oddly enough, as an eight seed, steal one from the Utah Jazz last year in game one of that series and hung tough. So maybe they just got a, a taste of their own medicine last year. They didn't really show up defensively, but like you were saying, John Morant still has been a fantastic player, was great in that game. 32 points, four rebounds, eight assists, 27.4 points throughout the regular season. Like you were saying, he's probably a top 10 MVP candidate, just the way with all those big men, the way they played. Nikola Jokic having that historic, I think he was the first 2,000, 1,500 player in NBA history. Then you had the Greek freak and Embiid. It was going to be tough to match those totals, but still was definitely a candidate the way he played this year. And the depth of the, this Grizzlies team had showed in this game a little bit, but just not as much as the Timberwolves. They just had a little more of the potent 20 plus point scorers in this game with Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniel, some veteran guys a little more. Maybe the Grizzlies, just the young players just didn't get it going as much enough where the Timberwolves stole game one. And then there's the Golden State Warriors. And what we have seen so far with the Golden State Warriors is that there is no more the Smash Brothers or whatever they call them, the Clash Brothers. It is Jordan Poole and Steph Curry. Why don't we call them the Poole Brothers, okay? I, I don't know what you want to call them, but to me, it's no longer Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and everybody else. It's Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, and everybody else. And Jordan Poole, what he has done so far in this series and throughout this season has become a young superstar in this league. And in a couple of years, I think two years from now or a year and a half from now, the Golden State Warriors are going to have to figure out how they're going to keep this kid because there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in a superstar young player of this magnitude who can shoot. Steph Curry has said it. Going into this series, what makes Jordan Poole so deadly is not only could he shoot, he picks his ways of getting to the hole. He picks his ways of, you know, getting smacked or getting fouled. That's what we've seen so far. And when you realize a player has come from being a rookie to a, a young player, a young, talented superstar player, you see these guys understand how to draw fouls, understand how to pick their spots, shoot the three in positions where it opens up the court for the other players to be open. It's unbelievable. I think Jordan Poole, if, if Jordan Poole plays like this in, in throughout this series and throughout the playoffs, it's going to be a very hard out to knock off Golden State. 
Absolutely, because he's also the guy that's moving around a lot more, too. We used to see Steph, Steph Curry in that kind of role, too, where off the ball movement, he was hitting his spots, finding new spots on the court, and just roaming around, just being a pest for all these defenders. And then all of a sudden, now Jordan Poole's taking over that role when Steph Curry's had all these ankle injuries, and Klay Thompson's obviously had the tore Achilles. He's just coming back from. These guys don't have that same level of movement. And Jordan Poole's been that guy steadily all year, too, that has had the spark. Steph Curry had his big spark in the beginning of the season, then he got hurt, really hasn't come back the same. And Klay Thompson's had his flashes since he's come back from the Achilles injury, but it has not been the same Clay Thompson as we've seen in the past. So Jordan Poole's kind of taking over that role. And Golden State had a very interesting strategy too, with Steph Curry kind of coming off the bench, serving as that sixth man role when either Thompson needed a break or Poole, who's playing most of that first half, needed a breather. They still had other guys step up and be effective. Steph Curry still at 16 in that kind of bench role, Clay Thompson at 21. And Golden State's scoring prowess and the system that they have still really showing in that in this series against a Nuggets team that's still pretty deep. Now, granted, they still don't have Jamal Murray back yet. Michael Porter's missed the last three months, too. So it's still limited. But the Nuggets are still a team that got there with their depth, too. And obviously, Nikola Jokic doing what he's doing, becoming the first 2,000-point, 1,000-rebound, and 500-assist player in NBA history leading the charge. But this was still supposed to be a close series, but Golden State's just taking over with their shooting. It's crazy. We've seen LeBron James break every single record, and now we're seeing another record that might never be broken again by a, a big man. It's fantastic what we're seeing. And, and Jokic, the Joker, has been the superstar player throughout the, the season for this team. If you look at the Denver Nuggets, the fact they're a sixth seed, with not having Murray, with not having Porter, if they get these guys back, could you imagine going into the series that your second best player is Will Barton? Right. I mean, seriously, if Jamal Murray was in this series right now, we've seen what Jamal Murray can do in a series. He, two years ago, he was the best player on the court for Denver when they were playing the Golden State Warriors, if you remember. Mm -hmm. So it, to me, it, it's so very important to get Jamal Murray back and, and Porter back because that gives you that deep bench that we have remembered this Denver Nuggets team to have year in and year out, which has been a problem for them for the last past year and a half. And really since Jamal Murray's been out. One of the things that I thought that Denver would still have an advantage on was their size though, because they still had Jokic. They still had Aaron Gordon. Uh, even somebody like Jamichael Green off the bench too was a good tough big man because Golden State's still on the smaller side when it comes to teams, not having James Wiseman and a lot of the big veteran big men they've had over the years that have since gone to other locations. So I thought the Nuggets would still be able to get that kind of advantage inside, but that has not been the case. And as a result, we've seen the difference when it comes to Golden State scoring and still playing some good defense as well. 107 points allowed to in the second game. And Denver really only was scoring in the second quarter. After the halftime break, they really were awful. I think the Golden State scored, I want to say it was like 70 points in 20 minutes or something like that to go from down 12 to up 10, just like that. So you can see how potent that offense could just turn it on right away. We've heard the term third quarter warriors all the time where that's when they get going and the nuggets really did not show with their offense. Now, if they are able to get Jamal Murray back and Michael Porter back later in the series, they could end up stealing it. Golden States had trouble historically in Denver, even when the nuggets were just an average team. So maybe they could steal something at home. And if they get them back, yeah, who knows? Maybe they could steal that kind of thing as well, because we've seen Jamal Murray in the bubble. We saw him last year. We saw him with all those three, one comebacks that they had against the Clippers and last year against the jazz. They, they are toughed out if they can get those guys in, but they just don't have enough of that core there for them right now. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball conversation as the New York Yankees hitting at 176 men in scoring position. They can't really get over the hump. And the New York Mets have been playing fantastic baseball. The pitching on this Mets team has been fantastic. And when we come back, we'll get into Lindor and the New York Mets as well here on the Sports Loudmouths. 
You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631 672. 3108. You can go to our website at sportsradio.com. Download our app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, the NBA playoffs are going along, and baseball is slowly but surely moving forward. And to me, right now, with New York baseball, it's really just one team and one team only, and that's the New York Mets. The Yankees right now are hitting 176 with men in scoring position. Uh, tonight, Garrett Cole's on the mound. He gets pulled in the second inning, 65 pitches against the Detroit Tigers. I mean, are you kidding me? This pitching staff right now, this rotation, besides Luis Saverino, has not looked good. Okay, it just hasn't. Now, going into this season, we expected the Yankees to be a power-hitting team. They've always been that. But they added some players that actually can hit for average and steal bases. They were going to play a different style of baseball going into the season. But again, we're going into the season looking at power bats. Gallo's hitting what? 116 or something like that? You have Glaber Torres hitting 170. It is unbelievable when you look at some of these players and you expect the Yankees to be better than this. When your leading batting average hitter is hitting 500 and it's Jose Trevino, <laughs> there is a problem here. It really is. Aaron Hicks, who hasn't played for two years, is hitting 333. And Aaron Judge that decided to not take the $213 million contract from the Yankees before the season started is batting 257. And one home run. Oh, and one RBI. That doesn't get it done. This team has been embarrassing. And I know you're going to look at it and they're in second place or tied in second place right now with the Boston Red Sox in a very hard division in the American League East. This team isn't good. And they're wearing their bullpen out already 10 games into the season. We have seen this, and, and I, again, I don't put down what Aaron Boone has done for the last couple of years, but he is, he's worn out the bullpen year in and year out for the last four years. Now they're going to have to go for the approach, too, now, if they can't get any length from the starters, where they're going to need at least more starters to come up, too, because they can't wear them out with these guys being younger, too, and just in so many different roles. We saw that happen with Loisaga already, where he was their best relief pitcher last year, now has been kind of overused so far, because they just don't have the trustworthiness for the length of their starting pitching, and it should come from Garrett Cole. At least Garrett Cole should be pitching seven innings, and they're not getting that. Yeah, it's under a little more understandable with some of their young pitchers, it's a little more understandable with somebody like Montgomery who they might want to restrict in the beginning of the season with his injury issues. But outside of Severino, nobody else is doing it. So you can't really trust that kind of thing anymore. The Yankees might have to go with like a six-man rotation or something like that. And, and their bullpen has been holding it together. Yeah. Because their bullpen right now, ERA, I think, is 216. Mm -hmm. It's but second in the American League right now. But their rotation as a whole is like 
four what four sixteen right. four seventy or whatever the heck it is. It's horrible. And Glaber Torres, I don't want to hear it anymore. I I have stuck up for Glaber Torres year in and year out. It's put up or shut up time. Okay, the fact that DJ Lemayu is going back and forth playing second base every other day with Glaber Torres. DJ Lemayu should be on the field every single day. He's batting three twenty one. He has two home runs. Glaber Torres is batting 161. And one home run. This team is really stapled together or glued together right now. And Aaron Boone needs to figure this out really quickly because this division is too good. I don't expect the Rays to play the way they have. They're 5 and 6 right now. I definitely don't think the Red Sox are going to be 5 and 5 for the rest of the season. It'll be a 500 team. And the Blue Jays, who right now is what, 6 and 5 or whatever the hell their record yeah, is right and now? And they're pitching too. They're doing everything. <laughs> Even they're not even playing well. When they figure things out, they're gonna slowly but surely win five, six, seven games in a row. A lot of their offensive players for the Blue Jays have already been hurt, and they're still weathering the storm a lot better than a Yankees team. Yes, they're dealt with some injuries coming back, but still are a little are healthier comparatively. And the Red Sox, yeah, they have some injuries in their rotation too, but they're still pitching better in some circumstances with their starters, with a lot of these newer guys that are coming in and the way they've managed it, and they can't weather the storm. And the Yankees, that's always been their biggest problem: is they overcome certain injuries well, where these new players come in. And then all of a sudden, they can't manage it the same when they come back. And the other problem the Yankees have had year in and year out, too, is they're too streak-reliant. And if they're too streak-reliant... But that's a lot of great teams. That's, uh, that's a lot that's, of power that's teams. a good amount of teams. I'm not saying the Yankees are the, the Red only Sox one. The Red Sox are like that, too. Toronto, oh, the Red Sox are definitely like that. The Toronto, uh, the Blue Jays are like that as well. I mean, all the power teams. In the American League East, you'll see these teams go on eight to seven game runs. And then they'll lose three or four games in a row. We've seen this before. And, and I think last year at one point the Red Sox won 12 games in a row. And the Yankees won 13. So. Right. So, so it, it works and it, it moves in the same path, in the same way with this, this American League East. And the, the Baltimore Orioles. And to me, there's no excuses for the Yankees to lose the games that they lost against the Baltimore Orioles, a rebuilding team. Right now the Yankees should be in first place in the American League East. Shoulda, coulda, but are not. And isn't that always their problem against the Orioles? The Orioles, for whatever reason, are just those pests. Whenever they were bad for the last five years, just they know how to beat the Yankees for whatever reason. They were showing a graphic during the Yankee game, I think it was on Sunday, that the Orioles were 1-21 against the Rays, 5-16, and 16, I think, against the Blue Jays, and 6-15 and 15 against the Red Sox. Yet against the Yankees, close to 500, for yes. whatever reason. Yes, and, and to me... You're, you're looking at the American League East. There could be three and maybe four teams that make the playoffs in this division. It, it's, it's that good. It has that much depth right. with the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. Now, a lot of people think in this division it's the Rays and the Yankees to win. I don't think so. I think the Red Sox is still going to be there. I don't like their rotation. No. But – all in, I didn't expect their rotation to be good last year. And look what right. they did throughout this season until the second half of the season when they almost choked. They went to the American League East, uh, the American League Championship last year.
with a lot of patchwork starting pitching, too. Even some of the new guys they called up in the second half of the season, a lot of those guys were the main contributors. Guys, I, I'm sure the Red Sox fans knew who they were, but guys that weren't on the pipeline and national radar for MLB guys. It wasn't like the Padres pitching prospects or the Dodgers or guys like that that were coming up, the Braves. It wasn't like any of those big top 100 guys like that. And this is not the only division that really stands out in the American League. The American League West, you got Houston at 6-4. Six, six and four. You have the LA Angels right now picking up their game. Mike Trout got hurt, but uh, the x-rays came up negative, so he'll probably be back in a, in the next couple of days, maybe even this week. So They're 6-5. and five. Oakland is always... You know, in the mix, six and five, they have a lot of power. Even all the pitchers that they lost in the off season, and they lost two of their stop, their top rotation pitchers. Bassett went to the Red Sox. Who went to the Padres? Manaya went to the Manaya went yeah. to the Padres, and they're still winning. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what winning teams do. That's what good teams do. And the Yankees have no excuses to the way they're playing. And there's going to be a lot of tough wild card races, too, outside of the American League Central with really the rest of those teams. Seattle's another team in the American League West that is young and promising. They got a lot of good hitters, especially, and they have a pretty good bullpen, too. So both those two divisions are going to be jostling it out all season. And the Yankees' biggest concern right now is situational hitting. And those are the differences of winning key games. And a 176 batting average right now with runners in scoring position it tells me that you haven't, even with a new hitting coach, even with some new players that are supposed to be better in these situations, still haven't gotten the approach fixed with that kind of thing from last year where they were, I think, the fourth worst. And, and there's Toronto right now and the Red Sox in this division in this division, and playing against one another in this series. This is an important series. I know it's early, but you, you really want to move forward in this division. You don't want to fall behind in this division, especially when you have all these powerhouse teams like the Rays, like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, like the Blue Jays. So when you're playing against one another, you got to keep pace with each other. So this is a very important series for both Toronto and Boston. So... And right now, Boston's up 2-1 to one right now against Toronto. So you look at right now this, this division, it could go either way this year. And I don't trust any of these teams to pitch well throughout this season. And even the Blue Jays, they lost their Cy Young winner. He leaves. Right. He goes to what, Seattle? Seattle, yeah. Okay, so they lose him. Then the Blue Jays are trying to glue things together. The Red Sox really didn't. They didn't make their their rotation that much better in the offseason. Nope. And then the Rays lose ro- rotation pieces, too, and bullpen pieces. And Austin Meadows and Joey Wendell in their lineup. <laughs> so these teams are – and the Yankees, they didn't really lose that much. They really didn't. Garrett Cole, a lot of people picked to win the Cy Young this year. Not the way he's pitching. Oh, definitely not the way he's pitching, especially against the Tigers, which have, yeah, a couple young players on their offense. Horrible. They're, they're a pitching team. They're not an offense I don't want to hear team. it's too cold, too. I don't want to no, hear that. No, you You're can't. making 320 million dollars. The Yankees are paying you $32, 35000000 million a year. Don't make complaints. Don't cry when you're walking off the mound in the second inning against one of the worst teams in the American League. By the way, Jeff has arrived. What's going on, Jeff? Oh, God. I, I don't even know where to start with you guys because it's just like, one terrible thing after another. It, the Red Sox didn't make their pitching staff or the starting rotation much better than the offseason. Are you nuts? What, who said that? Wait, wait a second. We didn't say the rotation. Did. Spe- no, we didn't. I said the rotation is not good this year. What are you talking about? Are you listening? The, the, the Red Sox rotation, they did a bunch. And oh, yeah. Much what? Better. Oh, much better? 
What what yes, what is their ERA yes. right now so far in ten games in the right. season? They don't. They're not. Right. What is Hold it, on. Jeff? Right. So this is what you're doing. That's so stupid. Right. This is exactly what you're doing. Right now, they have a bunch of injuries. Chris Sale isn't there. Right. That's not James what we're talking Paxton. about right James, now. James James Paxton not there yet. Right. They went and signed. Oh, Michael Walker, good pitcher. They went and got Michael Walker. Oh, we, we're going to bring up Michael Walker, dude, who's been dude, a bullpen you, pitcher dude, need, for the last couple you, of years. Dude, you need fourth and fifth guys. That's what it's about. You, you need, need sixth, seventh, and, and eighth guys. We have that. We have that. We're very good at Garrett Whitlock's been terrific this year. Barnes is a good pitcher, right? We we you know they got Strong. Strong's been pitching great for us. We have seven. You think this is a guys. top ten rotation right now in the the American League and, and throughout stop the league? With, stop with stop with your always oh, this top ten thing because you don't even think Marcus Smart's a good defender. He wins the defensive player. First of all, you know, first of all, if you listen, equilibrium it, on, on, on here we go. See what I mean? Whatever, do, so do you listen to this guy? Banana land. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah what's your banana land? How about you take your banana and, and do something else with it, okay? Uh, we're not talking you're, you're, about Marcus Smart. Listen, we're Red talking Sox about baseball. The Red, Sox should, the Red Sox should be dead and buried already, and they're not. They're still winning games with bum pitchers like Michael Walker. And it's 10 like games wait, into the season. Wait, wait, dead wait, already? Wait, wait until the second half when Chris Sale comes back. and, and James Chris Fox Sale. There. Chris Sale. He throws out his arm every single year. Yeah, Chris Sale. Great. Great. Wonderful. You're going to depend I mean, on a pitcher that can't stay healthy. Hasn't been healthy for three years. Oh, hey, listen, I'll, I'll take my chances with Chris Sale over Garrett Cole, who can't uh, be good without Spider. Uh, again, first of all, that's not true. Because even without oh, really? that, he was hey, up three for... Starts this, three starts this All year. right. Uh, it's cold. cold. It is cold. Oh, no, no, no. But, oh, right. But, uh, but Michael Walker's a bum, and then Garrett Cole has three terrible starts. By the way, terrible starts. I, I'm, I'm not three saying that he doesn't. I, I'm not saying that he doesn't. Cole all of a sudden. First of all, if you listen to my take on it, I think Garrett Cole is pitched terrible. And he is the reason why this rotation is not clicking right. Luis Savarino has been their best pitcher and hasn't pitched for two years. Are you listening to me? I, I don't think you are. But you want to know something. What happened? Uh, yeah, he stinks all right. He's given up one earned run in two games. Yeah, he's terrible. It's horrible. Worry, but, 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 yeah, all right. So, but this is what's funny is what you, with what you do, right? Oh, Chris Sale, he's already hurt. How many games in before Severino gets hurt? Isn't his problem injuries too? Yeah, we'll have to but see if he can pitch a no full season. Hurt, but you love your, you're sitting there blowing. Listen, I am not blowing. First of all, I'm not doing any oh, of that. Blah, 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 I am blah, not blah, doing any of that. First of all, I am I am talking about what I see. And I've put nothing nothing but down on the Yankees, all right? So I don't know what you're talking about. I have went through this over and over again on this segment that the Yankees are playing not good baseball. So I don't know why yeah, you're saying, stink. yeah, the Yankees stink. So do the Red Sox, okay? So do the Red hey, Sox. Hey, you're, you're, you're operating at full capacity. We're operating at half capacity. Oh, really? The Yankees are working and, and moving on full capacity. Are you really? Is yeah, that, oh, is yeah, that what you're the, selling? Yeah all, the, yeah, all their starters are there. Oh, all oh, their so, are there. oh so, so hold on one second. So you're going to tell me right now, and I, I want to get off this because I want to get into the Mets. You're going to honestly sell me right now that when uh, all these pitchers come back in the second half, the, the Red Sox are going to just take uh, an unbelievable step to winning this division? Is that what you're saying? What, yeah, 100%. That's okay. what I'm saying. Okay. Listen, okay. you, guys are, you guys are struggling operating at 
we, we're operating with one leg and one arm. Now, I will not make that. I, I, I will. I will say this. Garrett Cole last year, when it was warm, when it was over 75 degrees, pitched a 2.16 ERA. When it gets yeah. warmer, when it gets warmer, he will pitch better. Okay. Do you know what the problem? Do you know what the problem? Oh, here we go. Is? No, no, no. Well, that's not my listen, philosophy. It's truth. No, no, no. It's facts. Right, okay, right. But this is the problem with with that whole thinking, that whole train of thought. Mm-hmm. This is the major problem with it. Okay, it's cold right now. Yes. So he's not pitching very good. I think no. we can just both agree he's not pitching right now. Not very good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets warmer, he's going to get really good. And that may very well be true. But guess what? In the playoffs. It gets colder again. Yes, yeah. I know that. And oh, that's where that's colder again. And, and you want to know something? Before he came to the Yankees, he was a good playoff player. He really was. Go look at his stats. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a very good playoff that's player. That's only because he pitched in warm places. Houston, which by no, the way. No, the Pirates indoors. he started his career with wasn't warm. It wasn't he pitched warm well his rookie year there. Also, also didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, they did. They made it three straight years. He was good pitching his rookie year. He struggled in the second year. And then I don't think he pitched after that. Right, but then he, then he had help. He had Verlander. He didn't have to be the number one guy in Houston. Now he's got all the pressure of the world on him. And he's not pitching very good. In about 10 minutes, we'll be talking to uh, former athletic Met and giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. He'll be joining us in just a few moments. Uh, but getting back into baseball, to me... Going to the National League and looking at what the Mets have done so far this year has been very impressive. They have been a very impressive team. Pete They're Alonso. The team of New York. I'm sorry? They're the team of New York. Yeah, that's fine. That right now, they are the team of New York. But that's right, they are. Yeah, that, that's great. Francisco Lindor is actually hitting 317. Sterling Marte, needs to, Sterling Marte needs to figure out what he is as a player on the New York Mets because this year has been caught st- stealing at least two times. Yep. He is the not two on the team, <laughs> and he's he's not hitting for average right now. He doesn't really have a lot of power. Uh, so, and, and I know, I know when you look at it, he has, I think he has a couple home runs. He has two home runs and 10 RBI. So he's been doing well in that regard, but yeah. The, the but that's not his game. That's not his game. No. And he still has had some trouble defensively too. The Mets, for whatever reason, are shifting him to right field, which he never played in his career. He was a left fielder in Pittsburgh. He played some center field once they traded McCutcheon or McCutcheon got hurt. So he's used to that too. And right field was the only one he never really played, but wanted it because they have no other good outfield arms. And Jeff McNeil, uh, to me, has played a lot better than he did last year. And he's very important because Jeff McNeil might be a trading piece. When the Mets, you know, at the trade deadline, if a team needs a second baseman or a third baseman, you can move Jeff McNeil and get yourself a pitcher or a rotation piece that you're going to need to make the playoffs. So, and this has been the problem for the Mets in the second half every single year. Their bullpen just completely falls apart yeah. and they don't play well. Now, they have played well this past week. The week before, they didn't look good. So, to me, it's a hit or miss with their, their bullpen. Their rotation is fantastic. Uh, they have Max Scherzer, who is on the mound right now. He's winning 3-1. to one. And uh, you have Bassett, who right now is at a Cy Young type of – he's a Cy Young type of player right now for the New York Mets. And when Jacob deGrom comes back early June, which they're saying he might be back, that could, that could be as good and as potent of a, a, um, a starting rotation in baseball. So – to me, they need to stay afloat and they need to continue doing what they're doing right now because eventually, right now the Braves aren't playing well. Philadelphia isn't playing well. I don't like Philadelphia's starting rotation. I, I think it's horrible. Yeah. They got Wheeler and uh, who's Nola. the other kid? And Nola. <laughs> Everybody else stinks. And their bullpen is horrible. <laughs> okay, so And they have a good lineup, but the lineup's not hitting right now. So to, to me, it's really it's one or the other team. It's either the Mets or the Braves. And, and the Braves, to me... 
they're they're going to figure things out. Acuna will be back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So this is a good lineup, and this is a good rotation in the Braves. So I like what I see with the Mets. I do, and 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 they they're they're killing they're killing a very good team in the Giants who had 107 wins last year. They went into the the playoffs last year, being one of the best teams. They were the best team in mm-hmm. baseball going into the playoffs last year. Uh, and uh, they obviously fell short. This year they expected to do the same thing, and they have one of the best records in baseball until they played the Mets in his last two games. So it's it's a lot to say. I mean, the Mets, they haven't played against good teams yet except the Giants, so we have to see when they start playing some American League teams, uh, when they start being matched up against some of the better teams in the National League. That's when we'll know what the Mets are and what the Mets are going to be moving forward. And you brought up the Braves, too. Historically speaking, the Mets have really struggled head-to-head against the Braves in terms of the most division rival. Even when the you're talking about the Yankees against the Orioles, even when the Braves were rebuilding, they were always pesky against the Mets for whatever reason. So they got that's going to be the difference in terms of winning those games head-to-head, especially in Atlanta, where they've definitely always struggled. Uh, Carl says Cole got destroyed by the Cubs, producing Runs is in his game. Uh, Philly sound like hey, the Yankees. Didn't Carl, didn't Carl tell us that Suzuki wasn't going to be as good as he was in his first week? And he's he's doing unbelievably. He's unbelievable, breaking records yeah. right now as as a hitter in that lineup. And I told you guys, watching what I've seen so far early in his career as a Cub, that he's he, he's going to be an All Star this year, and he's gonna he's going to be a breakout player. Look what he's doing right now in the first three weeks. He's been fantastic. He's been one of the best hitters in baseball. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, you want, you were trying to say something as well. Yeah. I, I just, you know, was going to say the Mets it's, it's like, it's amazing to see the turnaround in this team. The, the Mets are exciting team. They probably have the best power hitter in, in the city in, in, in the polar bear, Pete Alonzo. He's he is terrific. not. What are you nuts? He is not. He's the best power hitter. In he the is city. not. He is Everyone loves the polar bear. You, He's the best you just player. hate the Yankees. And Stop it. It's nice. And it's nice to see a team spend money on quality pitchers, right? Mm. They bring in Scherzer, who's terrific. They bring in Chris Bassett. Very underrated signing. He hates the like the ad- the ad- He ad- really ad- does. <laughs> why, why can't I compliment? Why, why can't I compliment? The because you hate the Yankees and you'll do anything to put down the Yankees. The Yankees no, could. The Yankees no. could win fifteen games in a row. Team. The Yankees the could. And what a smart front office going and getting good quality pitchers that can pitch well in the playoffs, like Max Scherzer, a proven guy. Yeah, forty-three million a year. Pitch. Good luck on that. If he hurts himself, well, see what we'll see what I'd he rather, does. I'd rather spend forty-three million a year on a guy like Max Scherzer, who, by the way, might have a bionic eye. I don't know what that <laughs> thing is, but it's terrific, right? Then spend thirty-six million a year for ten years on eight years, on, uh, eight years on Garrett Cole. Right, thirty-six. Right, I mean. Think about that. What is he? Jeff, he's been he, he's been on the good. Yankees for two years, Not and he's been a good, and, and he's been, and he's been a Cy Young award winning a Cy Young. He was been last year. He was runner up in the Cy Young uh, in the American League, and the year he before the that, it was the third, third runner. Yes, he was the runner up because it was mainly the two White Sox guys for a while. Both Rodon and Lynn got hurt at the end of the year, so it was really Ray and, and Cole for the last month of the season. I don't know what you're talking right, but, about, and, and, right, and they also. Right, but if you remember, he's, he was only running up because he had a good first get, half. Get at they it. Weren't, get they, weren't, they weren't checking for the spider tech um, in the first half. Then um, they changed the rules. They checked the spider tech in May, for, too. For, yes, they did. They and and by the way, the and then it all went to shit. Jeff, Jeff, 
September was his worst worst month of his uh, his season and his career. That was that was the only bad month he had all season long. I don't know what you're talking about. What were you watching? What you know what you know what's terrible? You know what's terrible that you you hate the Yankees so much that you have everything bad to say. That's all. You should knit him a sweater. Okay. So he stays warm. Thank you, Jeff. Call back later. Thank you. You should knit him a sweater. Thank you, Jeff. Love Max Scherzer. (laughs) Good. You love Max Scherzer. Great. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, drives me nuts. Okay? It really does. He hates the Yankees so much, he'll do anything and say anything to put that team down. If the Yankees are winning, if the Yankees win 11 games in a row, they stink. They're cheating. They're not getting enough runs. It's never good. It's never good. But that's what a Red Sox fan does. By the way, uh, John Suggs says, I've been saying it, Warriors versus Celtics finals. Uh, Errol will probably faint if that happens. Warriors versus Celtics? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> I don't think it is either, but I'm just saying, if it does happen, you'll probably faint. I think it's Phoenix again against Milwaukee. I, I'm going to predict it. I, no, you I, go, you're going rematch. I had them in Miami, so we'll see. I, I think Miami could make it. I just I don't trust their bench. Okay, I, I don't. That's fair. I like their rota- I like their starting lineup. I, I really like what they're doing, but I just I, I don't like their bench. And I their bench is at, at some ga- in some parts of the game they don't get enough points off the bench. Sometimes some games are the only ones scoring, and the, the stars aren't scoring. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's a streaky offense. But I think the re- the revenge factor too from last they're a good year, defensive team. Spolcher is a very good coach, and yeah. So, yes, it could happen either way. But uh, thank you, Jeff, for calling. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to former athletic Met giant catcher Bruce Maxwell here on the Sports Lab Mouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number. This is the Sports Loudmouths. You can call us every single show, so call that number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, always a great guest. Always drives me nuts. And pisses me off because he hates. And he, listen, I am right now not a Nick. I'm a Yankee fan, but I I hate what I see with the Yankees right now. I'm not excited watching watching that baseball. I, I'm not. It's it's boring. It's horrible. But to say that the Yankees are horrible right now and they they stink, it's ridiculous. They're in second place right now in the American League East in the hardest division in baseball. Anyways, I don't I don't want to get into it anymore. We're we have a special guest. We are now talking to former athletic Met giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. What's going on, Bruce? What's going on, guys? How's everything? I'm good, man. As you you were probably listening to our guest, you know, he hates the Yankees. He just absolutely can't stand the Yankees. I heard. I heard. A lot of people, you know that. Yeah, well, I understand they're the evil empire, but they they haven't been the evil evil empire since really the early 2000s. I mean, they're a good team. They win a lot of games, but they haven't gotten over the hump since 2009. So I don't know why people hate them so much. Uh, I think it's just because it's the Yankees, man. They've always had the highest capital. They've always had the highest profiles. And I mean, I just I just think, honestly, when you have teams like them or the Lakers or uh, even the Patriots, you know, and then football, it's just like you have the guys that have a winning history. And so I feel like people find a way to hate on those guys because 
they have the ability and they they're not afraid to spend money but they always ha- end up having the high profile guys in the league man as everybody knows, we are talking to former athletic Met giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. So, Bruce, how are you doing right now? We haven't spoken to you in two years. Uh, you were playing for the Mets farm system the last time we spoke. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen's not there anymore. We, they have a new GM. They have a new everything. How are you doing right now? I heard you're playing in the Mexican League. Yeah, I'm back here in Mexico, man. I'm uh, about eight and a half months post-Tommy John, man. I had mm-hmm. Tommy John in July of last year. A freak accident, man, wear and tear, long tossing, just snapped my elbow, man. First first injury I've had in my almost 11-year career. And so I've been battling, man. I've been – I'm – if I could tell you at eight and a half months, if I had to play tomorrow, I'd be able to catch nine and and throw well. You know, I've been going – no setbacks, thank God, um, but stronger – uh, down some pounds, man. Just getting ready for this for this Mexican League season, man. So uh, you've been playing in Mexico now. Obviously, you've played with the Athletics in an American uh, league and league in Major League Baseball. So what are the differences in the baseball culture between some of the American leagues and the Mexican league you're playing in now? I'm gonna tell you this, man. I tell I tell everybody that comes down in this league. Um, I simply just enjoy the game much more down here. Um, I feel like a lot of people that go overseas, um, I feel like other countries really embrace the game a little more without so many, um, without so many like stipulations. Like when you go to a major league baseball game, like even when I was playing, it's quiet, it's, it's stagnant unless somebody, you know, hits a home run or whatever. But down here, man, it's like down here, especially in Mexico in the summer, it's like you're down here, man. Music's constantly playing. Teams have cheerleaders. Uh, there's events going on. The fans bring drums. They bring horns. They bring – I mean, it's just like it's nonstop for nine innings or however many innings a game is. And then we have lines of people waiting after the game for autographs. Um, every The city that I'm in, it's a sm- very small city, but um, – Everyone knows who you are. They greet you. They respect you. You're always taking photos, especially if you're a foreigner. And I just think the other countries, man, do it a little better because they just embrace the game and everything that comes with it, man. Like the fans down here are electric. Uh, The atmosphere is ridiculously electric. Like even in spring training, dude, like you go places, there's music constantly playing during the game. Uh, They shut it off right before the pitch. People are ecstatic, screaming, everything. It's it's a crazy time. We are talking to former athletic Met and giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. Bruce, when the lockout happened, and obviously some of the new rules with the major league, and MLB was trying to figure out how uh, – actually, the players union was trying to figure out how more – how some of these minor league players can make more money. When you heard some of these new rule changes, did you like them? Um, Not necessarily – um, I'm all for helping the minor league system. Um, even when I was in, when, even when I got traded over to the Giants, man, I, w- I went and started in double A to get my bats and stuff back up. And I was hearing about guys in, uh, Bowie, uh, in the double A out there on the, on the East coast that were, there was guys living in their vehicles, you know, in double A cause they weren't making it. They weren't making enough money because the city that they live in, the rent, was too much and the team wasn't helping enough. And so when it came out to those rules, man, about that, um, I was all for it because at the end of the day, the the pe- people that always go through the minor league system, they always tell you 
that that really tests your love for the game. And I understand that it's a privilege and, and you have to earn getting to the big leagues, but it's a whole nother ball game when we're talking about you have six people living in an apartment building in a ball uh, because you're not making a livable wage in the city that you're in. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's touchy because it's not touchy at all. Luckily for me, you know, I had a, a pretty decent signing bonus coming out the draft. So I was able to utilize that to stay comfortable, but not everybody gets those opportunities, especially now with the new, with the, you know, the new CBA where we have slotted draft slots, you know what I'm saying? And so I was all for that. The stuff in the in the major leagues, uh, any type of rule that they're trying to honestly, just like bigger bases. I don't really truly understand. Um, the bases are pretty damn huge in general. I feel personally like if you have bigger bases, you might even increase injury because now we have more area to improperly come into contact with. Um, but I also don't think it's really necessary. It's not like our bases are small and, you know, the time clock and, and whatever other, other adjustments they're trying to make. I think they're just trying to, they're working the wrong way to try to attract fans. Like I really, I really think that's what's going on because the game of baseball itself, it doesn't matter if you put a, a pitch clock in there. It doesn't matter if you put a time limit in between innings. The game itself takes time. Hmm. So, like, oh, sorry. Just, no, I'm saying just the game itself. Right. Like it. So it's like you can't. <laughs> you, we don't have a regulated game like the ML, NBA and the NFL. Right. How that works, and it's never how it's worked. So I, I don't truly understand why they keep trying to screw with the game. So you've been in the Mets and the Giants organizations, and both of them have had very promising catcher prospects, and both of them have done well in terms of accumulating talent. Joey Bart's now up with the Giants, too, and the Mets have one of the most talented teams in the league. So what were your experience like in the minor leagues, and also if you have any interactions with any of the major league players within those two organizations? Um, with the Mets, man, I got to spend spring training in with those guys um, as an older player. And I think on paper they have one of the greatest greatest rosters on the in the league. Period. Uh, I'll stand by that today, tomorrow, and next week. Um, I think the most important thing with those guys is keeping them healthy. Um, every year somebody's going down. I feel like in camp or or in the beginning of the season, and it kind of puts a damper on things. I feel like they have the makeup to be. Uh, a World Series contender this year, you know, and uh, my experience up there, my personal experience wasn't the greatest. Um, I mean, it truly wasn't. I got the camp was okay. Triple um, A, I got there, played a few games and then sat for a while. Um, I don't know if it was because of my age, um, but I mean, it is what it is. It kind of happens that way. And so, you know, being back down here, and even when the Giants, man, when I got traded over, I was in Double A for three weeks, and that's probably the best organization I've been in. Um, even in three weeks, I felt like genuinely their their teachers and their coaches at that level genuinely gave a shit about the individual player and their development. Uh, we had we have I've had I had more meetings in three weeks on individual preparation and how guys should prepare themselves like a big leaguer in double A than I ever have in the other eight years of my, uh, in my career in the States. And so I really felt like that organization is a very good organization when it comes to developing talent. Um, and I feel like they do it the right way without shoving analytics 
and computers in your face. You know, you took one of my questions right out with the analytics. Are you surprised, Bruce, that the analytics had taken over the game? Do you like the fact that they're trying to move the analytics away from the game, obviously with the shifting, uh, taking that out of the game? Do you like that rule? Do you like that they're taking that out of the game right now? Um, first off, I think analytics play a part in preparation. I don't think analytics should be the definitive, uh, answer to evaluating and, or, um, making adjustments. And why I say that is nowadays, like if you, obviously you get on your social media or whatever, you got the drive line, you got launch angle, you got all this all this shit that's playing the part or whatever. So I feel like the MLB is trying to match that. So when those type of kids come into the, to the organization or into professional baseball, they have guys that speak their language. Um, I'm a big believer in, and yes, I'm on the older threshold of the, the generation right now. I'm a firm believer in old school teachings uh, baseball itself is very difficult to play in general. And I feel like people complicate it by bringing analytics into things. But nowadays, I think that's the game itself is being evaluated in such manner. So they have to have, I feel like they have to have people on staff that speak that language to be able to help and speak it to the people who don't. And I hate the fact that they're taking the shift away. And wow. I'm not saying because I don't, I'm not a Deadpool hitter as a lefty, so it doesn't really bother me too much. But the shift is a human element of adjustment in the game of baseball. And so for me, it's like if you don't want them to shift, then put a bun down, hit the ball to the left, um, do something different. Like we're talking about big leaguers here, like, but the game itself and what's being taught is they're teaching that Long balls and strikeouts bring viewers and bring more money. And that's everywhere. And so they ban the shift because they want to see more of their superstars getting hits because at the end of the day, if they get hits without the shift, now it leads to more runs, which leads to more fans, which leads to more money that the organization is making. The direction of MLB is all about profit and profit only. They've been out of touch with the physical game of baseball and the purity of it. Um, because nowadays I feel like the adjustments and the rules that they're putting in play are, are I'm not going to say dumbing down the game of baseball, but they're hindering the human element of the game, which makes baseball so great. Um, it's better than any other, other sport out there because literally every single pitch is, is an adjustment. It's a human adjustment. It's not a computer it's not, you know, you walking out on an NBA court and every court you go to, the three-point line is the same. The goal is the same. The ball is the same size. Your competition gets better. The game of baseball is hard, and it gets harder every single pitch of every single game. And so I think they're, I think they're trying to make this game robotic. Honestly. Well, they're trying literally, to. <laughs> literally. <laughs> robotic literally. inning. Uh, robotic, uh, what are they? Uh, umpires? Umpires. <laughs> uh, umpires and everything. Everything's going to be robotic now. So uh, as as we see it slowly but surely move forward, we're going to see a lot of changes in baseball. We are talking to former athletic Met and giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. Bruce, uh, one of the fans wanted to know, do you feel like uh, you gained or lost speed 
after Tommy John surgery. Cena, he says he's seen a lot of pitchers gain speed because of Tommy John. Um, I can tell you this. Um, I had a pretty good arm before TJ. And at the eight and a half month month mark right now, my arm is stronger than it was, than it would be at the eight and a half month mark without injury. And I, and, and here, here's why people don't, people that aren't in the game don't understand the details of the, the, the rehab process of any type of injury, uh, especially TJ. I got a brand new tendon in my elbow. Um, I was shut down from even picking up anything really for almost two months. And me as a catcher, I'm coming back doing pitchers rehab. So we're talking strengthening the front shoulder, the back shoulder, your scap, your elbow, forearm, wrist, you name it. And it's detailed as hell. It's and that's why it makes that it makes the rehab process so difficult because it does take a ridiculous amount of time especially for pitchers. Luckily, I'm not a pitcher, but I do have to be more detailed in my rehab because I throw more than any pitcher does during a game. So I still have the volume of throws and the actions of throwing. I just don't, I'm just not on the bump. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so I've actually come back a lot stronger because I've been given eight and a half months to solely focus on my flexibility, my shoulder strength, my elbow strength, um, the fluidity of my arm motion. And I finished, I finished throwing at 150 feet, just shy of eight months. And one of my, one of my guys that got surgery the week after I did at the same time, he was just finishing up throwing at 90 feet. Wow. And so it's different for everybody, but you give somebody, you, especially a, especially a professional, you give a professional pitcher 12 to 18 months to solely focus on rebuilding that strength and fluidity and flexibility. It's almost, I'm not going to say guaranteed, but it's as close as guaranteed as possible that they come back gaining velocity. So one of the things that we've seen more is not only more Tommy John surgeries and like major elbow injuries with pitchers, but also with position players too. Matt Weider's got it, I think, in 2015, and it kind of started from there where there were a lot of catchers, a couple shortstops that were getting it too. So what do you think are the biggest reasoning for both the position players and the pitchers why this is happening more often? Um, I think from a pitching standpoint, I think we have so many guys developing early in their lives, their lives, excuse me, um, and so they're throwing harder and putting more torque, torque on their elbows and shoulders at a younger age than it used to be. Um, they're doing that stuff at 14, 15, 16 years old, where it used to be you might occasionally see a few guys on a team in college throwing mid-90s. You know what I'm saying? Now it's like you got high school kids throwing 100, you know, and this, that, and the other. So I think it just starts with the development process, honestly, like, so many more guys are putting that that stress and that torque on their elbows and shoulders at a young age before they fully developed into an adult with the, with the with the muscles with the body this that, and the other and from a position player standpoint i just feel like with the amount of games that we play and the amount of throws that we make just in general we have so much to do off of the field like already, like us, like catchers wise, we got meetings after meetings. We got to hit. We got to do this. I honestly think a lot of guys over time, they we lose 
we lose strength in here because we have to use it so much. And we also don't have the, the like, think about it. You have a, you have, we don't have the recovery that everybody else does, position players. And now you're expected to do more. You're expected to play more games, this, that, and the other. You don't have time to do arm care. You don't, you don't get, you know, you don't play three games to get a day off. Like Matt Weeders caught regularly. Like nowadays you got guys like Yadi Molina, who's a freak who catches 150 games a year. Um, even in year 18 or whatever it is, you got Salvador Perez catching almost 162 games a year and he's 34 ish, something like that. And so it's just like the demand for those superstars, those main players to play every day is getting so high. They never have time to give themselves a break to rest, to recover. And so I just think it's going to be, I think it personally is just going to happen more and more, especially on a position player standpoint, because now not only do you have more guys playing throughout the season, but you also have more guys playing throughout the winter too. Bruce, what are, you, what are your thoughts with the international game, the growth of baseball all over the world? You're watching this kid, Suzuki, he comes into the league at 27 years old. He's taking it by storm. What are your thoughts to the growth of the game internationally? I think it's fucking awesome, personally. Um, I think we could learn a thing or two, probably more than a thing or two, from other leagues and how they embrace the game of baseball. Um, if I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen highlights of – Games over in Japan, Korea, uh, even here in Mexico, packed houses, music, people going crazy. And the passion that the other cultures play with is unmatched, man. And because these guys come over to us and they get shunned for it, but people don't understand that's how they play the game in their country or in their in their area or whatever it is. But they play it with passion. Like, you talk shit, I'm going to talk shit back. You get me and I get you. But it's literally all in the game of com- competition, really. I love the fact that the the international uh, the international eyes are on the game of baseball because in the MLB, that's the highest level of baseball in the world. But I love the fact that we're starting to integrate a little more when it comes to the Koreas, the Japans, um, even with you know Kepler out in Germany and stuff. Because you know I was I'm I'm one of those uh, in that category also, but. It's like I want to see it expand. I want to see it uh, reach other cultures because I feel like it's kind of what America stands for. All these different cultures and people coming together to make a great America. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that shouldn't stop in the game in any sport, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense, especially all the crazy people, including Jeff, who calls the show <laughs> screaming about the Yankees. I mean, everybody's nuts. If it's not baseball fans, it's basketball and football fans. They'll they'll beat the hell out of each other out in the you know in the if it's not on the field, it's it's in the audience. It's it's crazy. I mean, next thing you know, you'll mix a little wrestling with football or wrestling with baseball, and they're hitting each other with chairs. Yankees fans are tough, man. Even Yankee fans. Played, even when I played for, for Oakland, man, the Yankees, Boston, um, even when I played against the Mets, they're, they're brutal, man. It's it's either they're, they hate you just because you're not in their uniform <laughs> or they hate their own team because they they're not. They like, hate going on. Like, it's like I remember, I remember talking to Cano getting booed when he first got to the Yankees and then he got to the Mets, they booed him again. And then Aaron judge getting booed in Yankee stadium. I'm just like, bro, how, how does that happen? 
Like, how do you get booed by your own people? And it, and it's it's the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mets, um, the Dodgers, the Dodgers yeah. too. Yeah. Their fans show up until the third inning. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I just don't understand like how they can be so passionate and be diehard their fans, but at the same time. They literally hate every other team, and if they're not team, their team's not doing well. They hate them too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like, I really... So, one of our fans has a, another good question. On it. John says, "Since you were born in Germany, did you play any ball over there, or did you start playing once you moved to the states, you and your family?" Oh, uh, so um, I was only living over there for about the first three years of life, my man. Um, but I do have, uh, have dual citizenship. Uh, my dad was in the military and so I was born over there. I'm the only one of my three, uh, the three kids. Um, but I do play for their national team for the classic. And so I played for Deutschland. Um, I played for him in 16. We were going to get ready to play for him in 20 before COVID shut us down out in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, but I do play for their national team. I do still work with guys over there, and I keep in touch with my coaches and, and the ambassador over there as well for sports. We are talking to former athletic Met giant catcher Bruce Maxwell. Bruce, you look at the game of baseball and the transition of the game with all the rule changes and really the growth and the money, the aspect. It's some of these players now are making hundreds of millions of dollars. You, you see uh, guys like uh, Seeger who – uh, was hurt a couple of years. He comes back, plays a, has a good season, gets a $300 million contract. Garrett Cole becomes available, and he gets a $300 million contract. There are teams now that have multiple players on their, their roster that has $300, $200 million contracts. Are you surprised that players are making these, this kind of money now than they ever have? Um, that just goes to show how much money baseball actually makes. Um, you know, when we, when we do collective bargaining agreements and all this stuff and the MLB tries to downplay how much money that they get every year. And then, you know, a few months later, they turn around and one team gives four dudes 200 plus million dollar contracts. Um, it, it just kind of, it's condescending, but at the same time in the game that we play now, just from what I've seen, especially the younger guys, um, all you have to do is have a really solid one or maybe two years. And then what happens is if you're a high profile guy or a first rounder or whatever it is, they tend to pay you for the potential that you could be and not necessarily where you're at. Mm. You know what I'm saying, and so um, it's just kind of how it works, man. Like, you know, you got Tatis in San Diego. Don't get me wrong. That dude's impeccable. Like, probably best best infielder I've ever seen. Um, but they gave him that contract at, what, 24 years old? Two something years like that. into the league, yep. They're paying for his security. They're paying to make sure that he's in a Padres uniform for the next 12 years. Mookie Betts, same thing. They're trying to make sure that he stays a Dodger until damn near he retires. Like, And so I think guys nowadays, now that the market is starting to kind of even out a little bit, like now guys, you know, other teams, the lower market teams are kind of getting into the middle of the packs. They're trying to make sure that they lock up their superstars for a long period of time so they have no inkling of wanting to go elsewhere. 
Another question from John Suggs. Very good question. When you were growing up playing in Alabama, was there a player you followed or wanted to be that was an inspiration to you or an idol in Major League Baseball? Griffey, all day, every day. Um, being an Alabama man, like, we didn't have any professional sports, you know, so uh, Alabama-Auburn football, um, but I've always mirrored shit until I got into pro ball pretty much. Uh, my stance, the way I hit, the way I finished my swing, everything after Griffey. Um, there's a guy that looked like me. You know, I'm mixed. Being in the area where I'm from, you don't see too many black people playing baseball, to be completely honest with you. Um, I was one of two on my high school team. I was the only one in my college. And then when we get into pro ball, you know, the numbers even get smaller because every person that looks like they're black, they're probably Hispanic. Um, and so – I looked up to him because he played the game hard. He had swag out the ass and he, everything he did just looked pretty and it looked smooth. And me being a left-handed hitter on top of that, I try to literally mirror every single thing he did. Bruce, what is it like over there? The food? I mean, over there in Mexico, I know there's, they're very tacos and, uh, what, what, what enchiladas, enchiladas, burritos. burritos. (laughs) What is the food out there like, like as an American? You guys just made my fiance laugh. <laughs> <laughs> she just giggled. Uh, I, I, the food here is phenomenal. Like, I played down here in 19, and we won a championship down here in 19. I was here for a few months in 20 before I signed with the Mets, and then I came back here in January when I started my rehab. And I personally love the food. I tell you this, I haven't. I was at home. I was back in the states last year, and in 20. And I don't think I went to eat Mexican food once. (laughs) Like, because everything down here, even the, but see, this is the thing. Even the American food down here is better. Mm. Like when you go to sports bars, even like in this city, we live in a, we we play in a super small city, but we have, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Carl's Jr. Uh, We have American sports or not American sports bars, but Americanized sports bars and restaurants and stuff. And even like, even the McDonald's here is better. I don't know how the hell that happens, but <laughs> it's, it's the same food. Maybe they, maybe they're, maybe they're cutting beef, uh, you know, bulls beef over there. You're eating bulls yeah. beef, not horse it, meat. Everything down here is just honestly, I think it's just everything I've eaten. The seafood's better down here. Um, the obviously the Mexican food is amazing, um, but all the food down here is just so much better. I, I, per, I personally think the culture down here is just so. It's so much more like home vibes, you know what I'm mm. saying? Like I'm from the South, right? so my mom makes my mom fries things. Everything comes with bread. It comes with soul food, cheese, or something. <laughs> and it's like here, it's like everywhere you go, every restaurant you go to, everything is family sized, and it's um, it's amazing, personally. The athletics when you were playing there or in the Mexican league you play in now, is there one teammate that uh, is a funny guy, a great personality, and is there a story that really stands out? Honestly, I have two. Uh, two guys, two of my best teammates I've ever played with, and one of them I'm actually currently playing with down here. Um, Coco Crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's like my big brother. Um, he took me under his wing in about 2013, my first big league spring training. And he's been kind of a mentor, older brother to me, because I also don't have any brothers. Um, me and him, me and him had a, we, we've had some, me and him have had some crazy times together um, over the years. And he kind of showed me the road to be a professional and, and also to be a big leaguer. Um, but I'll never forget that my rookie year, 
my rookie year with him, we were in the, um, oh, my first road trip. Our first road trip was to Cleveland, I think. And that was when I got my, got my first hit, but he was like, Hey Max, I'll pick you up and take you to the airport. And I was like, sick, whatever. Comes over to my hotel. He picks me up. He pulls up in an AMG. The door flips up sideways. <laughs> he was like, get in. I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't feel like I belong in this car. You couldn't have just picked me up in a normal car? <laughs> like, Bruce, get your ass in the car. And I was like, I might just get an Uber, man. I, I feel out of place. He was like, get the hell in the car. <laughs> All right. So I got in the car and I was sitting here and I wasn't touching anything. And I was like, my hands were in my lap. I felt like a small child and I was in trouble. And I was just sitting here like, so how was your day? Looks good. Yeah. Okay. Sick. Well, meanwhile, I'm riding around like I'm from the country, man. Like you don't see like nice stuff like that. So it's like I'm riding around in a $140,000 car and he's just over here just acting like it's no big deal. Like dude got 15 years in the big leagues. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it's crazy like to, to think about it that way because now he texts me. He's like, hey, how's TJ going? Uh, you know, this, that, and the other. Like, we've had some crazy times together. But that's one of my most memorable welcome to the big league moments. Mm. And then my other guy is Josh Reddick. I know some people about to, whoever's listening to this, about to give me hell for it. But <laughs> that he's one of the best teammates I've ever in my life played with. He's a great dude. He's a team player. He busts his ass. And he also looks out for, he, shit, he still looks out for me. And I'm three years younger than him. Like, and he still looks out for me even down here in Mexico. Like he still takes care of guys. He still takes the time to teach people and um, to, to help people wherever he can, man. And he's also, honestly, as bad as it may look on the field, he's a very, very positive person. Mm. And so I, those two dudes are my favorite teammates for the last 11 years, hands down. Well, with a name like Coco Crisp, I mean, what mother names their kid Coco Crisp? I, I mean, mean, technically, his name is Covelli. I know what his name is. <laughs> so, so, technically. <laughs> well, that's an Italian name, Covelli. Covelli. I always loved there was like, I don't, I don't know if it was specific to certain cities, but there were always random jumbo trots that would actually say his real name, Covelli Crisp, it's, instead of real, Coco. His real name, exactly, yeah. I know. Uh, I don't know where he got the cocoa. I, I guess he likes his hot <laughs> cup of cocoa, you know? <laughs> no idea. Where'd you, before we let you go, where did you meet your fiance, my friends? Me? Uh, I met her out in Arizona, man. I was rehabbing, and uh, we ended up running into each other because we had mutual friends at the same place the same night. And ever since then, we've been together. Look at so. that. Look at that. A love story. Whenever you get married, you know, maybe we'll broadcast live at your at your wedding. That would be great. Uh, probably not. <laughs> He's over here dying laughing. But I'm going to keep this one to myself. Ladies and, and gentlemen, put your hands together for Mr. and Mrs. Maxwell. Exactly. Exactly. She's over here cheering and shit. <laughs> Bruce, thank you for joining us, bud. We'll get you on soon again. Hey, for sure, man. I have, um, I'm a, hell, I have time in the next month, dude. I'm I'm supposed to be coming back about May 20th around that. Come around out for that my birthday, time. man. May 21st, May 21st is my birthday bash. I'll be 40, bud. 40 years old, man. You'll have to bring the Mexican cuisine. <laughs> You know, you know what? I'll I do you one. You remind me of that day, and if I'm back on the field, I'll wear, like, some tape or something with 
Happy birthday to you. I'll send you a photo. Oh, that would be great. I will do. I've, I've Speedy, the producer, sent you something. Definitely. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, please do, man. I'm down with it, bro, because that might, may or may not be my first day back on the field. So I'm going to – I'm uh, May 22nd is 10 months, and uh, they're giving me an extra month to, to be more than 100% ready to go. And I'm going to open up here in Monclova. Uh, I owe it to the fans for my first game back to be in front of my home team. So – um, definitely, man, I'll get, whenever you need me, man, let me know. I'll get back on. We'll talk about whatever you need. I just appreciate you guys not forgetting about me and never, reaching out. Never. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, tell your fiance, keep laughing and keep smiling. Hey, she can hear you and she's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Hey, you guys have a good evening. Bruce Maxwell, ladies and gentlemen, former athletic, met giant, fantastic kid, and he's, Great baseball player and and a great personality, really is. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some football. Yes, we're going to get into the draft. As who, Speedy? The Jets and the Giants are going to be drafting at 4, 5, 7, and 10. And we're going to get into what the Jets and the Giants have to do to get this roster back in order for next season. When we come back, we'll get into the Jets and the Giants and throughout the league, some of the trade rumors we've heard here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The great Bruce Maxwell. Uh, we haven't had him on the show in two years. I, 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 Speedy was telling me he was going to reach out to him. Some of these guys, I, I miss them because... The last time we had him on, we were talking. We were having so much fun with him. Yeah. And now he's engaged, and he was talking about his girlfriend. Crazy. It's crazy. But I'm very happy that everything's working out for him. He's getting healthy, and uh, he's going to get back on the field in May. So great, great story. Mm-hmm. It really is. I love the part where he said, even American food is better in Mexico. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah. it, it, to me, I, I've never really spent that much time in Mexico to really taste the food. I've gone to Cancun years and years ago. I was DJing out there. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of things, but never got a chance to really enjoy the food over there. Uh, and never drank the water. I, I've heard so many <laughs> stories about the water. I never drank the water because people get sick when they drink the water over there. But anyways, uh, I want to get into the NFL draft. Uh, it's a week away. Uh, it's it's one day before my birthday. Mm-hmm. And Thursday, it always is. Last year it was on your birthday. You, yes. were, you were out for your birthday, so we didn't do a show. But uh, a couple of other, other network shows at that time did a little draft show mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, it filled the load because you were out on your birthday with your with your family. So. Yes. And, this, um, this year it's the day before. <laughs> yes, and we'll have Carl and, and Jeff on the show. We'll make our picks in the first round. Last year, me and, me and Jeff were spot on on a lot of the picks, and we were back and forth. It's, it's really 
it's really fun. A lot of people are making their their prospect picks and where everybody's going to fall in the draft. Nobody's ever right. Mel Kuyper's never right. Oh, gosh. Okay, so. <laughs> Mostly wrong. And he was supposed to retire if Jimmy Clausen didn't become a good quarterback. Hmm. Yeah, well, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> that um, never happened. Now he's making even more money over there. <laughs> but I like Mel. Mel's a nice guy. Um, but anyways, I, the thing is, when you, when you think about where the Jets and the Giants are sitting, uh, there was stories coming out from uh, the Jets, uh, you know, and where the Jets were interviewing this weekend, Kavon Thibodeau. Now, there are a lot of stories that Kavon Thibodeau might fall to them at four. If he falls to them at four, do the Jets draft him or do the Jets trade out of that pick and still be able to get him at six or maybe eight. Now, if somehow he falls to the Giants at five, I, I think the Giants draft him at five, and then they draft their their offensive lineman at seven. Because I, I don't know if Kavon Thibodeau wants to play in the league. They said that about Miles Garrett, too. They, they've said that about a lot of players coming into the league. They don't want to be NFL players. Their life is not about football. They have other things that they're interested in. Uh, I've heard Thibodeau wants to be a rapper. I mean, everybody wants to be a rapper. But <laughs> I mean, uh, just take advice for all the NBA players that became rappers now. Yeah, So and a lot of NFL players, uh, a.k.a. Um, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, yeah, there Antonio you go. Brown yesterday, or last year when he had yeah. that whole incident. <laughs> like two days later, had a track dissing Tom Brady or something like that. I mean, and then Miles Garrett, if he – wasn't playing professional football. He wanted to be a basketball player, but he wasn't good enough. But nevertheless, you look at Kevon Thibodeau, and I know what Jeff's going to say. Kevon Thibodeau has had, you know, he's had injury in the past, and, and you can't trust that he is going to be 100% healthy, especially with a significant injury to his pec. So it, it's, it's interesting where he falls and, and where he's going to fall. I still think with his massive talent that him falling to the Jets – the Jets, it's going to be very hard for the Jets to pass up on a pass rusher where they've been trying to fill in that spot since John Abraham. So I don't know where the Jets go at that position. I've heard Hamilton, another another guy that they're interested in. Sauce Gardner yeah. is another guy that they've mentioned. So uh, it's going to be very hard to, you know, to really decide or think where the Jets are going to go on – April 28th, when they're on the clock and at, at, as the fourth pick. Now, being at 10, I've been hearing rumors that the Jets might trade out of 10. Yeah. Now, there, there are quite a few wide receivers in the first round. If they trade out, because I've heard that the Bengals have reached out to the Jets, they want to move up to 10 to add another offensive lineman. Uh, I've heard uh, the kid from Iowa, the, the center, Lindebaum, who they really, really like. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. To, to move up to 10, there were stories. I think they're drafting at 30 or 31. They're drafting at 31 because they lost the Super Bowl, yeah. Right, and they are also uh, they're also willing to give up their second and possibly fourth-round pick. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't think that's enough. No, it's not nearly enough. To, to, go to move 21 up, spots? No. To move up to 10. So uh, are they willing to give up next year's first-round draft pick to move up to number 10? That's going to be the question. And, and are the Jets willing to do that knowing – that they need a wide receiver, and the wide receiver that they want might not be there at 30-31. So it's going to be very interesting on where the Jets go and how the Jets are going to figure out on how they're going to draft. Now, there are also stories that the Jets don't want to draft in the top 10, both their picks, because it right. affects their salary cap. So uh, do they trade down a couple of spots, still get the player that they want, and, and, and get a, a bunch of draft picks for that? 
it, it's so interesting. The Giants are definitely going to draft at five and seven. They need to fill up some spots. I, I think the offensive line is heavily where I think they should go. If 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 Neil is sitting there at five, you draft Neil, and, and if you can get the other kid, um, um, Cross, Cross, not even Cross, the other kid, Aquanu, yeah. Aquanu. If he's still there at seven, you if you could get Neil and Aquanu from five and seven, to arguably the two best offensive linemen in the draft over there in those positions, I do it because yeah. you solidify your offensive line for the next 10 years. And that's something that the the Giants have built over the years. They built around the trenches. They built around their offensive line, and they built around their defense and their pass rush. That's why they were champions the two years that they won in 2007 and 2011. Right. Even even 2011, their offensive line was a lot of injury-prone guys, but it was still a lot better than what they had now. That 2007 offensive line, though, was loaded. And into 2008, too, when they were the number one seed as well, they just lost in the playoffs because they always struggle against the Eagles. But nevertheless, the scenarios that are going to be interesting are going to be one of two things. Jacksonville is all of a sudden having these rumors now where they might draft Trayvon Walker number one overall and surprise everybody. If that ends up happening, that will lead the way for probably one of the other pass rushers to fall. Probably Thibodeau, like you're mentioning, because a lot of teams are concerned about the injuries. I think Detroit will definitely go Hutchinson, too, if somehow Trayvon Walker's drafted number one. I don't know how much I necessarily believe that, but it's the Jaguars. Walker's not going one. Uh, it's the Jaguars, so you can't rule it out. I don't think he is either. He's but... going in the top ten. But he's yeah, not he'll going go in the top one. ten, for sure. I think. I know you don't like Walker. I don't know why. I'm, not, I'm like a little him. down on him in comparison to, like, where his draft stock is. I don't think he's a bad player. I just don't think he's gotten a lot of reps. Even when Anderson was out at the end of the season, like the, the Georgia was still rotating around the, with those pass rushers and the linebackers that they have. And I don't know if he really got enough chances to develop. He might have some good upside. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's not even a first round pick. He's definitely a first round pick. He's definitely the top half of the first round pick. I just don't know if he's worthy about that early in the draft. I, he probably will go top 10. I don't probably see him falling past Atlanta at eight because of the Georgia connections and they need pass rush help too. So, that makes sense, but regardless, if somehow he they surprise everybody and take him one, and the Texans we've heard Gardner connecting to, Hamilton connected to, then all of a sudden that leaves the way for the trench players to be in both plentiful for the Giants and for the Jets, too. And I, what you're, to answer your question about the, should the Jets take Thibodeau at four, absolutely, if he's there, unless the offer is something you can't refuse, but if he's there, take him. Well, they interviewed him, and they liked the interview. There were stories coming out uh, that the Jets – we're very intrigued after speaking to him. The question is, when you look at the offensive linemen in this year's draft, and there are stories coming out there, there could very much be four offensive linemen draft in the top ten. It could very much happen uh, with a lot of teams looking for offensive linemen. Carolina's looking for offensive linemen. The Giants are looking for offensive linemen. I've heard that the Bengals are trying to move up for an offensive lineman in the top ten. So uh, there are teams that are willing to do that. And also, I could also see teams like the Texans, who need offensive line help, drafting an offensive lineman if, in Neal if he falls to them at three. So – and the Jaguars do need offensive linemen, but knowing the Jaguars, they're going to draft Hutchinson. It makes a lot of sense in their eyes to add a pass rusher, a leader in the front end of their line, especially with Josh Allen there where they have two dynamic defensive linemen if they add a guy like Hutchinson. The question goes upon where some of these corners are going to go. Stingley right now, who had a very good pro day, and, and, and a lot of people think that it will help him uh, move up in this year's draft. Some people thought he fell out of the top ten. I disagree. I think there will be teams very much interested in Stingley. Uh, and also Sauce Gardner, where, where you look at his numbers, uh, he, 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 I don't think he gave up a touchdown the, whole, the no. whole time that he played for Cincinnati in his college, uh, college career. And I think it was only one pass of over 20 yards in 
in the last two seasons, too. Yes. So a lot of people look at those numbers and they try to compare it to Ramsey and, and, and a dominant player, a dominant corner like a Darrell Revis, who came out of draft where the Jets moved up at 14. I don't see Sauce Gardner falling out of the top 10, but there are a lot of players, a lot of good players and uh, that are going to fall out of the top 10. A lot of people think are going to be top 10 picks. So if you're drafting at 11, 12, 13 or 14, you're going to get yourself a good prospect and a good player sitting there. So uh, again, we don't know what's going to happen. Some people think Kevon Thibodeau is going to fall out of the top 10 and it could go 11 or 12 or maybe even 13 and Walker might be drafted in front of him. So right. It's it's so interesting in this year's draft, but I think there's so much depth in this year's draft where you could get a great player in the third and fourth round as well as you can get them early in the in the first round. So it's just it's a crazy draft. It's so wide open, and again, uh, there are what four or five teams that have multiple picks yep. in the first round. So five it's teams. crazy. It yep. really is. It's crazy. Uh, John Suggs says Trayvon Walker will go to the Texans or the Falcons. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I don't think he'll fall past the Falcons unless for some reason Thibodeau somehow falls there, but I don't see that happening. Uh, should Green Bay trade Jordan? I heard Atlanta is very interested in Stingley, too. Yes, they are, and which makes a lot of sense, too, because they could definitely use the secondary depth as well. Atlanta needs a lot when it comes to their roster. They could use offensive line. They could go in any direction. They Wide receiver, they definitely There are still now. people, there's still, still statisticians that are saying that Stingley's going to be better than Sauce Gardner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I know he's been hurt the last two right. years, and he missed the year with COVID because he didn't want to play. But his freshman year, he was by far the best player. And I remember Big Mouth Jeff speaking up and saying that Stingley, Stingley is going to be the best and the most viable talent in in the coming draft in 2022. Right. If I if I if I oh, he was a stand of that. A lot of those LSU players too. Now all of a sudden he thinks Sauce Gardner is. I, right. Who knows with Jeff? You know. Uh, John also says, should Green Bay trade Jordan Love to the Giants or the Jets? Nobody wants Jordan Love, I, I, and the yeah. Jets don't want him. I think they shot his value. You already. think the Jets want Jordan Love? No. They, they, they don't want Jordan Love. And what are you going to get for Jordan Love? Yeah, I think his value a is fifth really round shot draft at this pick? point for how many games he's been inactive. I, I don't think any team is going to take that kind of chance right now. And the Packers are not going to want to trade him for uh, maybe most of fourth round, fifth round pick at this point because he was a first round pick, a guy that's a developmental quarterback. And it's just hard to get those kind of things to work in today's NFL where the quarterbacks kind of have to be with good within their second year, maybe third year if you're a top five pick or something like that. It was a wasted draft pick because yeah. now that Aaron Rodgers signed the extension, they're going to have to move Love unless Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. And we have seen sure. enough. we've seen enough with Love to know that he's probably not a number one guy. He's more of a number two guy, just like Sam Darnold. We, we've seen enough of him to say that he doesn't have the full – and talent to be the number one guy on that roster. Right. And we've also seen other instances where he's listed as inactive and they had Kirk Bankard and Matt Flynn and a lot of other veteran guys as their backup quarterbacks in those particular games. Tim Boyle. Like these all these guys that are like really no name quarterbacks that are in that are, that are active as the backup quarterback ordered over Jordan Love. That's just say a lot about his value. So the Packers really have to bite the bullet on this one. He's just stuck there for the time being, unless somehow he gets like the treatment of the last two games of the season. Maybe the Packers clinched the number one seed or something. He gets to play and he shows a little bit. Maybe they could trade him like he did Matt Flynn. I don't know. Yeah. That would probably be the only scenario where that kind of thing would happen. But I don't want him for the Giants, and I know you don't want him for the Jets either. The Jets need a veteran backup that could help out Zach Wilson, and the Giants are going to need that same kind of thing. Uh, they're no, they don't. They're bringing back Joe Flacco. They okay. re-signed Joe Flacco. Flacco's coming back. They're not going to be stupid again after right. giving up a sixth-round draft pick for Joe Flacco when all they had to do was sign him for 3 or $4 million and bring right. him back. 
if they really wanted him back. It made absolutely no sense why they did that. But, yeah. again, it is the Jets, and the Jets have done a lot of stupid things over the years. I was very surprised that Joe Douglas, who I think is a very intelligent man who understands the game, would be so stupid to let somebody go for a sixth-round draft pick. Right. So, But, anyways, to get back into this year's draft, I, I think – it's very interesting how these, you know, certain teams and certain players might fall. And with the Green Bay Packers, the Green Bay Packers need to look at wide receivers. Right. And they have, uh, I think they have two first round yep. draft picks this year. Mm-hmm. So to me, what I would absolutely do right now is, being that you lost Devontae Adams, who's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, if not the best, you go after being that you're sitting. If you see a wide receiver that you really, really want, I would take those two first-round draft picks, trade up, and get the guy you really believe to be your number one target. If not, you go wherever you land in the first. Who, where are they drafting? It's 22 and 28. You draft the best wide receiver sitting there at 22 and the best wide receiver sitting there at 28, or you get the best tight end at 28. Right. I was thinking, too, like, if there is any speculation of a run of wide receivers at any point in the draft, we don't know when it's going to start. We've had, we've Early. Heard, we've heard Jeff say, oh, it might start in the top 10, it might start right if after the, Jets, the top 10. If the Jets draft at 10, they're drafting a wide receiver. Yeah, but... Even so, like, when will it start? It, will it start with Atlanta at 8? Will it start with the Jets at 10? Will it start with Washington? Like, there's going to be instances. If the Packers starts have, at 10. If I the Packers have any inkling of that kind of thing happening, they should trade 28 up along with some other draft picks to try to get their guy, whoever they think is the best scheme fit or the best connection with Aaron Rodgers. And then at 22, you could take the other one, whatever's left, as another second, third option type. So at least you get the depth. You don't have the same problems that you did where it's Devontae Adams and everybody else. And you build what Aaron Rodgers had at the beginning of his career where he had core guys. Donald Driver was a core guy. Jordy Nelson was a core guy. And they never really had any bad stretches where it was one receiver and everybody else like we've seen these other teams have. And now the Packers the last five years have really had that issue where where is that second guy? So they need to double up if they can, especially if it runs uh, trading up. Uh, Jeff also says run starts at four. Uh, there's no way the Jets are dra- drafting a wide receiver at four. I've, I've talked to numerous writers that the Jets are either going after a defensive lineman or they're going to trade out of that that yeah. pick. That's what I've heard. There is, and they could draft Hamilton if 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 Hamilton is the guy that they feel fit. And and they don't think Hamilton is going to be there at four. Right. So uh, I do not see the Jets going after a wide receiver at four. They'll probably trade out of that pick and then decide where they're drafting the wide receiver. I I've been hearing ten. Uh, more than likely, there is. Uh, I'm sorry. What what is Jeff saying? Jeff's Jets 100. percent take wide receiver right, at four. I, I, Jeff, I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you tell you what. I'll make a bet with you on that one. That the Jets do not draft a wide receiver at four. And I'm I'm almost 100. percent I'm 110 percent positive they're not drafting a wide receiver at four. Okay, there's no way. Now I do I do know this. They went to. Drake London's um, pro, pro day. day. He did not run his 40. Very interesting. Uh, he, he did everything else but run his 40, which is scary. Because if you know that Drake London can't run his 40 or he doesn't want to run his 40, even though he's an athletic beast, he's six foot three, his hands are huge, nine-inch hands or whatever the heck he is, uh, you have to be worried because the game is built on speed. And if he can't make, if he can't run that forty, he can't show that he can run that forty and run it fast. Why would any of these teams draft him in the top ten, including the Jets, who really like him? 
Yeah, I also don't see the Jets at four taking a wide receiver just on Joe Douglas's history, too. He comes from a Ravens organization that they've had trouble drafting wide receivers, so they don't usually try in the first round. Most of them come from free agency that have worked for them, Anquan Bolden, Steve Smith, etc., later in their career. The Eagles, they're hit or miss with wide receivers a lot of the time. Some, some years they have a lot of good ones, and other years they don't. Or that's the biggest problem of their team in Chicago. I mean, do they ever develop a good wide receiver? They only can develop running backs on offense. So I think from that standpoint, I can't see him doing it at four. Yeah, at ten, definitely. I could, I could see. I heard Jamison Williams is yes. moving up in the draft, I've, too. A lot of mock drafts, including a lot of the guys we've had on the show from Pro Football Focus, have yeah. been saying Jamison Williams at ten. If uh, if the Falcons take Garrett Wilson at eight, then Jamison Williams at ten seems something that's very likely. With the Jets. And yeah. I, I heard that, too, that the Jets are interested also in Jamison Williams. He, he They were at his pro day. He ran. I, where did he run the 40 at his pro day? I'm not positive. I, I think I it was 4-4-3. Four, four, yeah, so, and he's healthy. Or four three three. my bad. I, I mean, he's healthy, and uh, I think that as the season progresses, and he might not start the season. He, he might right. not be ready for the, for the beginning of the season. They're saying that he might not be. If that's the case... So what if right. if he is the talent and he everybody thinks he's the best wide receiver in this year's draft, which a lot of people do. Even Jeff says that he thinks Jamison mm-hmm. Williams is the best wide receiver in this draft. But you never know what these guys could turn out to be. You, you, all four of these, five of these guys could turn out to be all pro, pro ball type of players. But uh, it usually never happens. Usually if there's six top guys, three of them turn out to be good and the other three are uh, decent. But right. over the last couple of years, most of the wide receivers that were drafted came out to be pretty damn good. So, yeah. especially the year that there were there there were fourteen wide receiver in the first picks three in the first, rounds, in yeah. a really first two and a half rounds. Yeah, and Jamison Williams is also not like the other fast thought of as just fast guys. He actually is a big body type guy too. He can jump. He could do a lot of different things. And I think. Probably outside of Garrett Wilson, he's probably the second best in terms of a raw scheme fit, too, because Alabama lined him up all over the place where he's caught screen passes in the slot. He caught screen passes outside. They, I mean, they didn't line him up as much in the backfield, but they still ran him on those jet sweeps, which they love to do in that kind of offense. We saw Elijah Moore do that a little bit last year, too, where they used him in that kind of style. And coming from the Kyle Shanahan offense, and you saw him use it with Debo Samuel and many other receivers in the past, that could be a really good extra secret weapon if they do want to go Jamison Williams in that direction. And I'm sure Garrett Wilson could do it, too. Ohio State really didn't use it in the same way with Ryan Day. He's fast, Garrett but he, Wilson. But Garrett Wilson is very fast, running a 4-3. He's Big got, hand, uh, strong. Great with contested catches, And he doesn't too. drop the ball. Right. Great with contested catches, too. For uh, Everyone was concerned about his size being a factor, but he actually still had a very good analytic catch percentage last year on those tough throws. So I'm not worried about that when it comes to Garrett Wilson. And I think in that kind of offense, he definitely could be used in that kind of role because he's a good motion guy, too, and he's an exceptional route runner, which you need in that kind of offense, too. Just getting open quickly. We talk about all the time how Zach Wilson sometimes held the ball too long, but also has a really quick release, too. So now we can use the quick release if somebody else gets open right away, not like somebody like Corey Davis, who took a while to get open and run routes. Yes, and, and a lot of people's mock drafts, uh, we've, we've seen Peter Schrager, who keep, he keeps changing where he is. And, 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 and by the way, Peter Schrager actually picks the Jets on picks the Jets for Kavon uh, Thibodeau falling to them. So, and, and the Giants getting, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Charles Cross, which he is leaked and linked to the Giants, right. Charles Cross. So, uh-huh. I, I, I mean, and if Kenny Pickett gets drafted to the Carolina Panthers, I don't. I don't think there's a quarterback in this year's draft that should be drafted in the top ten. Nope, I don't. Now. 
I understand that the Carolina Panthers need a quarterback. If they need a quarterback that bad, trade for Baker Mayfield. I, I think I absolutely believe the Cleveland Browns would trade Baker Mayfield for the sixth pick in the first round straight on. Oh, easily. Straight up. Straight up I mean. They're not going to get that offer anywhere else. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I really – if you think – if you like Baker Mayfield, Kenny Pickett is not going to be better than Baker Mayfield. He's just not. And I think Baker Mayfield really, unfortunately, got the bad stick uh, over there with the Browns, with the fans, and with the organization pretty much, you know, giving up on him. Especially and mismanaging the injury. Especially so, yeah. two years ago when he took you all the way, one game away, one play away from going to the AFC title game. Essentially one yard away. Rashard Higgins almost got in the end zone. They were leading at halftime. And you give up on him. Happens, it yeah. makes absolutely no sense. Now, the way and, – and they're saying the Giants are going to draft Sauce Gardner. Uh, Schrager thinks that if – if Sauce Gardner is sitting there at seven, which I don't think they need a corner. No, but, but if they trade Bradbury, there's always that option for that. I they're guess. saying Evan Neal falls all the way to Atlanta. What? That's wow. what Schrager I, says. That I never saw. Wow. Yep. That would be a lucky one if they somehow do that. But I guess I guess if it's out there if the Giants trade Bradbury, maybe they go after a corner. Because I also saw a mock, I forget who it was, with Derek Stingley going to the Giants at seven, too. So... I guess that's an option still. The talks have kind of died down now with other free agent corners getting signed and the Giants kind of being a little more content with their cap situation. It's still not great, but they might still trust that he's there and want to trust that he can help out the other young corners in that defense with everything else they need. So, again, I I don't see it as likely, but if they trade Bradbury – before the draft, obviously, it's a big scenario. Yes, and, and Jeff says there's no way he's falling past the Giants. I'm just reading what Peter Schrager has said. He also believes that pick 10, the Jets draft Jamison Williams. Hmm. So, and, and the Washington Commanders draft Garrett Wilson. So, okay. I believe the wide receivers start falling at 10. That's where I think. I don't see a wide receiver going, uh, going anywhere in the top 10 except at 10. Right. So it's very interesting how this is going to fall. Maybe the Jets trade out of that pick, and I, I could see the Jets trading out of the number 10 pick. That's where, if you're Green Bay, maybe you anticipate the run there and try to make a trade there to get up. If you want Jamison Williams. If you want Jamison Williams. Or think about this, too. Washington, he would be a great fit over there, by Yes, the he would. Washington 11, they could definitely use a receiver. Minnesota doesn't. Houston, they could use everything, so they could draft a wide receiver. The Ravens, we know they need a wide receiver. The Eagles could use a wide receiver. The Saints, these are all teams that are right in that same realm. You're reading what Jeff's saying? Schrager's never right. Nobody's ever right. How many times? It's a mock draft. How many times? Is there a mock draft that really stands out every year that you could say that seven out of ten guys falling in the spots that they believe they're going to fall are right? No, we we just we just trusted Jeff three years in advance. I think me and Jeff were the closest one in the top ten that got it right. Really, I think Jeff had seven out of ten, and last year I had six out of ten falling into the spots that they did. So I, I mean. It's not. It's a very rare thing. You don't know where these teams are feeling for those players, or maybe their draft board, or where they fall. So again, I don't know where a wide receiver is going to fall. Maybe some other team is going to trade all the way up to fourth with the Jets because they really, really like a wide receiver like a Jamison Williams. I would not draft Jamison Williams as good as he is, being that he has. He's coming off an ACL injury. I understand. We've seen people get you know come off those ACL injuries and still are unbelievable. Maybe even faster. I, I don't take a chance and try to trade up at any spot to try to go up to four to get a Jamison Williams. Yeah, I, I think the only trade you'll get maybe for that is either Thibodeau or Neal in that case if it does end up falling. Just because I think 
Kyle Hamilton could fall just because of the, uh, the safety position not being drafted as early in recent years. Even somebody as talented as Jerwin James fell to 17 when he was thought of as a top five overall prospect in his draft. And I think a lot of draft analysts, probably almost every draft analyst, thinks Kyle Hamilton's a top five overall athletic prospect in this draft. But... Same thing with the corners, too. It might be a case where, yes, Sauce Gardner might be the best on some boards. Derek Stingley might be the best on some boards. But there's a lot of corner depth where if you're not targeting one guy, you can wait on it where that, that could end up happening. Where you might not get that kind of luxury with Thibodeau or Neil. And Jeff now has returned. Jeff, what's going on, man? How are you, man? I'm good, man. Look, I'm not saying that, that Thibodeau would be a bad pick or that they won't do that. Right, because I would I would like that for the Jets. I think that that would be a good pick. All right, but I'm all I'm telling you is from what I've seen from the Jets this off season, tells me that they want to look. look they tried, it, whether you agreed with it or not. Okay, because I don't want to have that debate again. Whether you agreed with it or not, they gave up a boatload of picks and other stuff for Tyree Kill, and Tyree Kill just chose somewhere else. But mm-hmm. they were willing to give all of that stuff up. Mm-hmm. which tells me Joe Douglas is desperate wide receiver, which would say to me, I think he's going to try to get his guy at four and he'll worry about a, another pass rusher because there's going to be really great pass rushers available. Uh, the kid Jermaine Johnson from Florida state, he'll be there at 10. Maybe Walker is there at 10 because I don't know if he'll go true to the lions or, you know, there's so much that's like in flux with this draft that, like, you'll still get an elite pass rusher at 10. I just think that he wants his choice of wide receivers. And so that's why I think he would take wide receiver at four. And it may not happen, but that's – from what I've seen, he's been willing to die for a wide receiver this offseason. Yes, and, and I also heard that he's still interested in A.J. Brown, and, and still, before the draft, they could make a move for A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown had a post. He posted something up with Joe Douglas behind door number three with, with the, with the, oh, with with the, the Panthers. Reaper, but... Yes, and has Joe Douglas trying to knock on the door. Now, I, don't, I know A.J. Brown wants to go to the Jets because Elijah Moore is there, and that's his, like, brother. I don't think it's happening. I, I don't. And I heard he was already renegotiating a contract. Yeah, I, I don't think. It, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. So, to me, I, I did hear. I did hear that Kavon Thibodeau was there this weekend. He was do. He was interviewing with the Jets, and and the Jets really liked the interview. It went very well. Uh, they had a good conversation with him, and he wants he he wants to play football. Now the question is. Kavon Thibodeau could be the best and the most talented player in this year's draft. A lot of people still think that he is. The reason why he's falling is their belief that he doesn't have football 100% on his mind. And if he, they said that about Miles Garrett, and look how dominant Miles Garrett has been since he's walked into the league. Yeah, he's, he's been great. But all I'm saying, and that would be a great pick for the Jets. I don't dislike that pick. Mm-hmm. And maybe that that's what they prefer to do. I'm just telling you everything that I've seen from the Jets this offseason. Yeah would tell me wide receiver. And I don't think that, like, you would think that I was crazy for saying that because no. they they have been desperate. It, they have appeared desperate this offseason for wide receiver. Have they not? Yes, they have been. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So I don't think that I'm saying crazy things. No, and I don't think you're crazy at all. I just I'm I've talked to a bunch of a bunch of inside guys that I know that work for the Jets and they're writing reports about it and they they're saying that it's either defensive lineman or trade out of that pick. That's what I've heard. It right. was Kyle Hamilton, 
before uh, before the combine. They were really interested in Ky- uh, Kyle Hamilton, but I guess they fall out of love for him. And maybe if he's sitting there at ten, right? Maybe if they decide they don't want to draft a wide receiver in the first round, they draft Kyle Hamilton and they go Kavon Thibodeau and Kyle Hamilton at ten, and that would be that would solidify their defense for years to come. But I still think defensive lineman at four. Wide receiver at 10. I, I still think the Jets are going to get their guy and whoever they want at 10 because I don't see any of the top 10 besides that number 10 that need a wide receiver. I also look at, too, Joe Douglas's. Certainly, certainly the Falcons at 8 would take one. Yeah, but that'd Falcons, probably be the only one. The Falcons are looking for a, def- a defensive back. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. And that's, they could go pass either, rush, it's, too. It's either Stingley or Sauce Gardner if he's sitting there. But I've been also reading that the Giants, if Sauce Gardner is sitting there at 7, they're going offensive lineman at 5. If Sauce Gardner's sitting there at 7, they're drafting him. I also look at, too, the Joe Douglas draft history. He wasn't obviously the main GM, obviously Newsom was, but when he was an executive with the Ravens all those years, they drafted a lot of pass rushers either as their first pick, if they didn't have a first-round pick that draft, or as their first-round pick. Terrell Suggs, uh, Dewan Edwards is a defensive lineman, a first-round pick. Haloti Nada was a first-round pick. Uh, Courtney Upshaw was a first-round pick. Uh, Sergio Kindle was another outside rushing pass rusher, was their first pick in that draft. And also combine that with Robert Sala's history with the 49ers, too, where learning from John Lynch, all John Lynch drafts in the first round seem to be pass rushers for the first four Which, five By the way, the Jets there. signed one of them uh, this offseason. Yeah, Solomon yep. Thomas, right. who's coming to the Jets. I didn't like that move. Right, but, we got it. Right, but that's, that's all well and good that he's made those moves, right? And so he has that history, which is fine. And that could end up still holding true. But he's also never been in a position where he's been so desperate for wide receiver. They've been able to wait on wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. So everything's also situational as well. Where like, you know, I'm not, you know, the, the, the Packers aren't taking quarterback this year. Why? They're set. Mm-hmm. Everything's situational, right? Like yes. the Browns finally aren't taking quarterback this year. They're set, mm-hmm. right? So, I you know, his draft history is one thing, and that's fine. I don't know, man. I, I think he would rather have his, you know, it, it just depends on what his philosophy is. If he thinks that he can get, you know, if there's two or three wide receivers that he likes, well, fine, then maybe he can wait till 10. But, uh, you know, whereas if there's really one that stands out to him, he needs to take him at four because there's a bunch of teams picking after him that could take wide receiver. Yes, that might take the guy that he really wants. And, and that's very interesting. I'm going to go through the top ten, and I'll tell you why and, and, and what everybody is predicting of, of the pieces that they need. Do you have that up, Speedy? Look that up. But I, Jacksonville is not drafting a wide receiver at one. Detroit yeah. is not drafting a wide receiver at two. Again, they could. They're not. They're they gonna, could. They're, they, probably, they probably aren't. They're going to draft a defensive lineman. All right, so this is an article from uh, NFL.com. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville, they said wide receiver is their third need, but edge and offensive line first. Uh, Detroit, they say quarterback, edge, corner. Uh, Texans, cornerback. Okay, yeah. Texans say edge, corner, O-line. Jets was edge, wide receiver, corner. Mm -hmm. Giants, offensive tackle, edge, tight end. Carolina says quarterback, O-line, edge. I don't know if it's how we agree about that. but uh, The Giants, we know. Atlanta, yeah. quarterback, edge, wide receiver. Yeah. Seattle, quarterback, offensive tackle, and corner. So I, I, I still think the, the fact that the Jets are at 10, if they have a wide receiver in mind, I really believe they're going to be the first team off the board with a wide receiver at 10. So they're going to get the wide receiver they really, really want 
at 10. So you draft. If Thibodeau is sitting there at 4, you can't pass that up. You, you just can't because he could be the guy that they've been looking for for the last 20 years, a guy that's right. going to get right. at the quarterback. And remember, they have, they have what's-his-name coming back Carl next Lawson. year? Carl Lawson, who was out last year with the torn Achilles. He's going to be back. You put one guy on one side, the other guy on the other, and now you solidify your defensive line. Right, but there is a way they can pass it up, though. There's a listen. I could I could rationalize this and make it very easy for you to say, yeah, they can they can let it go, right? One, Thibodeau does have a bad injury history. When I say bad injury yes. history, that uh, that injury that tech thing is what JJ Watt has been battling the whole time, and it, and it doesn't kick. And this isn't like a sprained ankle; he's going to be out for a week and he's coming back. He rehearsed that thing. He's out for another six, seven weeks, a half a season, maybe a whole season, uh-huh. right? And and if there is a guy, a pass rusher, that you like, that you really feel good about, just say Walker falls. Say Jermaine Johnson is there. There's a Dude, there's a lot of pass rushers in this draft. There's a lot of them, and a lot of really good ones, right? If you If the difference between Thibodeau and, say, just say Jermaine Johnson, because I'm just throwing a guy out there. It could be another dude. If that gap isn't very big, you can pass on Thibodeau there and say, we're going to get a guy we still really love at 10, and then we're going to get the work. Because if the gap between, and I'll just name two wide receivers, okay, Drake London and Garrett Wilson. If they believe Drake London is just so much better than Garrett Wilson, yeah, they can pass at Thibodeau. The two guys that I'm hearing, now the Jets went to Drake London's uh, wide receiving um, pro day, and he didn't run the 40. That had a lot of teams really questioning if they would draft him, you know, in the top 20. And and that's, Drake London might fall out. I, I could see him falling to Green Bay. I could see him falling to the, to the Packers at 22 if they want Drake London because he didn't run his 40, and that's, that's, that's going to question a lot of people. I've heard that Jamison Williams has moved up on a lot of people's draft boards. Yeah, because Jamison Williams is probably the best wide receiver, and he's going to be fine. That injury isn't a bad injury. Right. Dude, and, and, dude, Derek Henry tore his midseason and still came back by the end of the season. It's not the same. It's not the devastating injury it once was. Well, they're saying that uh, he might be back. They might be back. He might be back in the third or fourth week. So – uh, if that's the case, then maybe you do draft Jamison Williams Don't if you think. Then. You think so? I, I'm just telling you what I've I've read. Dude, dude, Garrett tore it in January. Yeah, Garrett he Wilson. God, he tore so it in January. He tore it in January. Yeah. Eight months means he's ready for a, a, a preseason. Game. They usually say nine to twelve months. That's what they say with the torn ACL. How long did it take Derrick Henry to come back? Well, Derrick Henry's a different beast of a man. Okay. And also, he didn't okay. come back the same, so you might be worried about that kind of thing, too. You might have well, come back, back and little, play well. Came back a little early, but we could, we can also go, well, how long did it take Adrian Peterson to come back? Yeah. Well, I think Adrian Peterson is the exception to all injury rules, considering the season well, he had in 2012. That's fine, but what I'm telling you is eight months is still going to be all longer right. than right. the three, four months that's that those fine. guys came back from. That's fine. Jamison Williams is sitting there at 10. I know, I've heard they really like Garrett Wilson. Either or will be sitting there at 10 for them, and they're going to get one of them. So I, I look, you know, I, I love Garrett Wilson mm-hmm. and I certainly love him a whole lot more than Olave. And I've been the guy defending Garrett Wilson, yes. even mid season college football. Cause all you guys want to do is talk about Olave and mm-hmm. I was telling you Garrett Wilson was better. Mm-hmm. I love Garrett. Wilson. I know you do, but Ohio state wide receivers 
Never don't do very yeah. well in the pros. Right, outside of Michael Thomas, really, none of them have. You're and right. Terry McLaurin's playing very Ed well. And McLaurin, right yeah, you're right. And McLaurin. Yeah. Right, but most most of those, like, that offense doesn't really kind of translate to the NFL. Right. And you're probably Ryan right. You're probably right. Right. So I would say, Jameson, if, if I'm the Jets, Jameson, and that, that could be another factor in t- them taking a guy at four. Say that they don't love Ohio State guys, and they're like, shit, well, now we're down to Jameson Williams or or Drake London. So you're, you know, saying, you're saying they're worried about the uh, the past of Stephen Hill and Devin Smith and guys like that. Well, Stephen Hill was Listen. Stephen Hill was a second round draft pick. Okay, and and Look, Stephen I'm, Hill is I'm not a talent as these guys. No, I'm just telling you that, that some of these top guys aren't even being considered by the Jets because the Jets don't like them for whatever reason, right? There's always going to be guys that they're going to go and, and listen. It could just be just take Hutchinson and Thibodeau. How does any team make a, make a decision? You're going to go, well, I like this guy, and I don't really like this guy. The Jets are doing the same thing with players. I'll tell you, right? I'll tell you why I don't like Hutchinson. And, and I know a lot of people are trying to compare him. I was him just to, making an I know. I, I'm, just, I'm saying that if, I was, if Hutchinson was sitting there at four, okay, and Thibodeau was sitting at four, I'm drafting Thibodeau. Because Thibodeau is he's fast, he's got that one step on the edge, and that's something that Jets need. That's that's a Robert Sala guy. Hutchinson is a guy that you could put all over the line. He could be he could be multiple positions. I don't know if he's going to be that dominant pass rusher in the NFL as well as he was when he was with Michigan with the Wolverines. So I well, there's things to there's pluses and minuses yes, to both of them. Yes, right? Yes, and right? you know more Hutchinson, than I do when it comes to that. Hutchinson, stuff. you could say, has a higher motor. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that that's really close. I think he's kind of proven that. Right. Mm-hmm. You could also look at Thibodeau and go, look, he was the best player in high school. He's the number one prospect coming out in his class in high school. He's had all the pressure. He's lived up to it. He's played very well. That's a real plus for him. He's probably going to be the one to succeed at the next level because Hutchinson, honestly, has only really had, you know, one good season. I mean, it was yes. a great season, but it's only he was one. up for a Heisman. Yeah. Thibodeau's, Thibodeau's had three. Mm. You know, so there's you could find ways to not and, and legitimate ways to say pluses and minuses to these guys, and not that made up bullshit we saw last year with Justin Fields and his epilepsy. Right? Yeah. Look at how big <laughs> of an issue that is now. Right? And at the time, they were just making bullshit up. Oh, of course, and that's what that that usually happens the a week or two weeks before the draft, which is a week before the draft now. And you're going to hear a lot of crazy things, especially with the Baker Mayfield situation. Uh, where's Baker going? Where I think Baker is going to be sitting still right now with the Browns because they're going to still need him because I think Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended. So plus, you don't know what his value is at this point. Just, but I think the Browns also just signed a quarterback too. Um. I think they did just sign a quarterback, so I think they're going to be shipping them out not the not too distant future here. Well, if they do that, I don't know if they're going to get a first round talent. I, I think it'll probably get a, a second round talent. I think yeah. it's yeah, Jacoby Brissett that just signed. I think it's a See, steal. There you go. Yeah, I, I think it's a steal. If, if I was a team right now and I could get Baker Mayfield for a second round draft pick, I make that trade. I make that trade. I could definitely see a team like Atlanta doing Pittsburgh. That. I would do Pittsburgh. if I was Pittsburgh yeah. or Seattle. I do yeah. that right now. Seattle don't have a second round draft pick. For whatever you can I don't get think right they do now because him out of the building is better than him in the building right now. That's the biggest thing. No, I don't. I, no, I. I think they have a second round. They don't have a first round. For but it doesn't yeah. matter. Trade him for right. a seventh round. Who gives a shit? Because him out of the building is much better than him in the building. You're probably right. But again, I, if I was a team looking for a quarterback, I would do everything in my. My my thought to to make that 
make that trade right now to get Baker Mayfield. Pittsburgh, I, if I was Pittsburgh right now, I'd make that call right now. I'll give you a second-round draft pick for With Baker. As much as you love Trubisky, I do. you want to do that to him I do. Again? No, I want to challenge him. If, if Mitch wins, he wins. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Then you could do what you want with Baker. Yeah, that's a yeah, but that's a no-win situation though, right? Because either way, you're ending somebody's career. Mm. Because if Baker can't beat out Mitch, mm. he's never playing again. You're probably and same right. Can be said for Mitch Trubisky because they're both not considered not very good right now, and you can't even be the best out of the not very goods. Baker had a hurt shoulder last year and threw over three thousand yards. I think Baker with a, a healthy shoulder. He's going to play well. He he'll he'll be a leader of an organization and a team. He's got he's the one of the faces of football. They love him, and he's he was on every single NFL NFL quarterback. I mean NFL uh, commercial. I, I see him on Subway. I saw him on so many commercials, telephone commercials. He is a face for football. So I'll, I, I'll give you the trade that should happen. What happens? You Let's want, hear it. You want the you Let's want the way it. this whole thing works. Let's hear it. Right, mm-hmm. Baker to Arizona. Kyler to Carolina. See you later. But what are you going to – I mean, you're, you're going to have to get a lot back for, for from Carolina. I mean, Carolina getting Kyler, – Kyler Murray's fantastic. You don't, you don't care about what you're getting back because you're avoiding paying Kyler Murray $40 million a year, which is what he's asking for. Yeah. And you can get Baker probably a lot cheaper than that. But I don't think Baker's going to go, hey, give me 40 I think Baker has proven he's kind of a team guy at this point. And – Baker was coached by Cliff Kingsbury, recruited by. Cliff I was just going to ask you, wasn't he? A, yeah, was he a Texas Tech transfer? No, I, I did That's remember that. Originally, yeah. where he came from. You want a, a way to make this work? The Arizona saves in salary, and they still get a quarterback that can run Cliff Kingsbury's system. And you don't care where you send that Keebler elf. You don't care. <laughs> the Keebler elf. John says Carolina will let CMC go with the trade. Uh, yeah, they've been trying to man- maneuver him. I don't think they'll cut him, but they'll they'll maneuver him. They've been trying to trade him. We've heard the bills. There you go. You want you want you want the trade straight up CMC for Kyler. How's that? It's interesting. Arizona finally gets a halfway good, decent running back. <laughs> Not at the end of a career. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter because they've been doing good with that. James Conner just had a great season. Yeah, he did. Conner is more of a natural running back. Right. McCaffrey can also catch it out of the oh, backfield. Yeah. He was the best more... receiving back in the league before he got hurt. He had right. 2019, so he had 1,000 yards receiving. And so which style fits Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's offense better? Come on. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's actually Trade interesting. I never thought of that scenario. But, yeah, the Cardinals could go. definitely be in on that, yeah. Right, because you don't want to pick – listen, I love Kyler Murray. I think he's a very good player. I do, too. I'm also not paying $40 million and being extorted by this dude that was throwing underhanded interceptions in the playoffs to the Rams. Yeah. And again, he's gonna he's gonna take a lot for what he did against the Rams in the playoffs. But the Rams won the Super Bowl, okay? And and Ky- that was Kyler Murray's first playoff game. So right. to judge but him and to attack him because off. of one game, it's no, crazy. No, no, no. no, what I'm attacking him for is putting up that performance and going, you know what? I'm worth forty million. Get the fuck out of here. Well. Uh, again, I, if I'm trading Kyler Murray, I'm getting, I'm, I'm still getting a boatload back. If you're going to get Baker Mayfield, you're going to have to give me. Uh, but you pro- don't care. You don't care. Part of the asset, and and this is how you you need to you specifically you need yeah. to start looking at things because mm. you never take it into consideration, which is wild. The asset that you're getting back 
is the cap space you're saving by not paying that little stumpy human being $40 million. We're, see, we're seeing what that's done to the Green Bay Packers. We're seeing what it's done to other teams that are the Dallas Cowboys have had to cut everybody because they paid that that Prescott, right? Yeah. You don't want to have this team that's put together that's progressively gotten better every year and say, you know what? Fuck it, burn it down because we want to pay the midget forty million. <laughs> and, now, and now all the Cowboys fans want them to get soft scored. <laughs> right. And not for nothing, look at the quarterbacks that are getting it. Half of the fan bases that, that have these quarterbacks are like, dude, I wish we never did this. John says the only issue with the Panthers, he's locked in with Darnold contract, though, for at least two years. Well, yeah. He's not. No, that's he's only, not. it's this only one year. year. Yeah, it's only yeah, one this year. This is the last yeah. year. It's only one year. That, that's true. I, it's I not think, two years. It's one year. John, Sam, one year for Sam Darnold. John, even so, I don't think I don't think a Sam I don't think Sam Darnold was going to hold back the Panthers if somehow Kyler Murray becomes that available. No, and what really bothers the really would bother me if I was a fan of Carolina is I gave up a second and a fourth for Sam Darnold, right. and now you're already giving up of him. You're giving up on him after. Being booed, uh, he gets hurt last year. They they take him out. Uh, they bring in Cam Newton. Cam Newton chokes. They bring him back. The fans are booing him, and he uh, he did lose Christian McCaffrey the whole season. When Christian McCaffrey was in the lineup, they were three and zero. They were four and zero at one point. Even uh, PJ Walker was playing over him a little bit. Yeah, sometimes and, in the second and, half. And look, at, and look, if it's that big of a problem, throw him into the trade and ship him to Arizona, and then great. Arizona's got the perfect backup for that system, rather than having to go to Colt McCoy. Yeah, it, it, it's it. I feel bad for Sam Darnold because I I no, understand he's got red hair. It's his own fault. <laughs> I, I I feel bad for him because I, I do believe the Jets ruined him. And because they ruined him, his career is going to be up and down for the rest of his career. And uh, that had a lot to do with Todd Bowles running the organ, you know, running the offense and, and being the coach when he went over there with the New York Jets. And then obviously Adam Gase, who really ruined him and really wrecked him. So uh, I thought Sam Darnold with the first, the first year with Todd Bowles, he looked like, you know, he beat the Indianapolis Colts. He beat some good teams. And then when Adam when Adam Gase came in the picture, I, he ruined him. He absolutely ruined him. And now the first year with Carolina, let's be honest, Rule is not a good coach. He got a lot of money from Carolina. I'm sure Giant fans are very happy that Rule didn't uh, – he didn't become the coach for the New York Giants. And I was very – I didn't want him as a Jet – you know, jet coach. Thank God the Jets right. were trying to put his, you know, his coaching, his coaching uh, seats for him, and they decided to go. He decided to go elsewhere. Except your other fallback I mean, option was Adam Gase. Unfortunately, then again, the Giants were also Joe Judge too. None of those yeah, are I any think, good. I think I think Rules a better coach than he's getting credit. For oh, dude, he's I think horrible. the first year he he's was horrible. he was good, but I think he took a ba- major regression he's last year horrible. with a very right, easy right, schedule. Right, but, Right, but look at what he's had to deal with. You know, like J.C. Horn, he drives his first-round draft pick. He gets hurt in, like, the, what, the second game, the first game? Yeah, how one of the Thursday night football Horn games, gets, yeah. Well, how quickly did J.C. Horn get? I think it was really, week four, like, one of the Thursday night football you games. You can't really kill yourself. You're bringing Stephon Gilmore. I mean, <laughs> they brought him. Yeah, but he, he left. Stephon Gilmore's not there. Uh, he left. They only traded a six-round pick for him. Yeah, so they still was... brought him in. I mean, that's not a bad consolation prize, right, is but, it? Right, but then they were forced to go to, with Cam Newton who, by the way, might be the only quarterback on this planet. Who's the one who made that decision? 
Mr. Rule. That's because Sam Darnold sucks so bad. Like, I okay. think if they have a competent quarterback, which is, look, uh, that, that's what hurts every coach and every team. And I, I don't got to tell you, the Jets have been searching yeah. for a quarterback for how long? A long time. That's not a knock. That, that's a no, it's a long time. You're talking right. about 40 so, years. Right. So that's part of what's holding Matt Rule back. I, listen, Rule has been successful. Every, dude, he made Temple good. How can Temple stinks? He made Temple good. I just I don't like his offensive ways. I don't like he co- how he coaches it's the offensive also not game. His offense. I I understand that. I I very much he's more of a defensive guy. But again, the way he coaches and I think the game has changed. And I I understand Tennessee brought it back. It's run first, throw second. He, they really brought that game back, and it, and it works. It's worked for years, and it works in the playoffs. It works. It, no, it works when you have the best running back in football. And and that's what they had to do, by the way, because Ryan Tannehill stinks. Well, that again, that's because of the coaching staff because they extended right. his contract. Right, but if, if if that were the case, if that if honestly, I mean, this is what's so silly about this whole thing. Okay. If that were the case, people wouldn't be killing themselves for quarterbacks if it were run first. It's not. It's not. They do running backs grow on trees? You can get undrafted dudes, and they're just falling all over themselves because they. Everyone can run it. Everyone can. It's so hard to have a quarterback that can throw it. It's a throw first league. And that's why teams without quarterbacks fail. But you also need the offensive scheme to make a running back platoon or system work, which I don't think Matt Rule has really shown, even when McCaffrey's gotten hurt. They've drafted other running backs, too. They've signed these veteran guys, and they have their glimpses here and there, but they don't have a consistent rushing attack. I think the Panthers were... Seeking, I think they were seeking like a 100 yard rusher for the whole second half of last season. They didn't have it. So, right, but my right, but this philosophy doesn't just apply to the Panthers, it's league wide. Name another team that's really like run for there's like three teams that are like run first teams in the NFL. That's it, Hmm. but still, you need that level of either coaching or depth on the roster to make that kind of thing work, which the Panthers (laughs) don't really have the fallback of. Who's their second best running back, Chuba Hubbard? Triple Hubbard's a good player, by the way. He's going to actually be pretty good. He, he was really great at Oklahoma State. But here's the dude. Arizona has incrementally gotten better every year. I think they run four running plays a game. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. And, Jeff, I understand what you're saying. And a lot of these teams now are using running backs as wide receivers and spreading out the offense. We've seen this many times. And, and one of the teams that really brought that into the league was the Patriots, Bill Belichick. Yeah, he was Patriots the one. Are a one first team. Yes. And, 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 and Bill Belichick really has built his offense around running backs that can catch the ball in the backfield. That's what they do. Right, I mean, but, James right, White. But, uh, right. I mean, look at the guys that they brought in over the years. Right. But other than, other than say, I'd give you the three most obvious run-first teams, which is probably Tennessee, New England, and then Baltimore. Okay. The Jets do. The Jets do. They run the ball first, throw second. But they're trying to throw it. They're trying to do it. You know, the Jets are, you know, I feel like the Jets are lost on their identity right now. No offense. It's just they're trying. I to really don't think that. I don't really think that. I think 76 percent of their offensive plays were running plays last year, and and that's what they're doing. They're run first team. They needed an offensive line as the season progressed. Their offensive line got better, and George Font became also, an elite offensive like lineman. That because, that's also like that because you have a rookie quarterback, right? I don't think anyone thinks. Uh, you know, if you if you saw the play breakdown, I'm sure the Jacksonville Jaguars. What is what does Kyle Shanahan like to do? What does Kyle Shanahan like to do? Run the ball. All right, and oh, where does throw the? Well, he likes to run. He likes to run the ball. 
But he's got a good amount of passes yes. in there, though. Yeah, but they're they're running. If you look at what Kyle Shanahan does, 68 or 67% of his offensive calls are run first, throw Why, second. Though? Why? Because it opens because, up the field for the wide receivers. No, because he doesn't have a quarterback, Jimmy G. Listen, he's completed. He's had a nice run. He's completed some nice, nice passes. He's not a good thrower of the football. He's not. Uh, that's fine, but you have to play action has to open up everything for you. Uh, right, running opens up the play they, action. That's what right, I mean. But they have to. Like teams like Tennessee, they they need that running game. Why? Because Tannehill blows. And, right? and, and, he's, and he had, he's had AJ Brown and 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 Julio Jones and all these guys, and he can barely complete a pass. So th- that's what they need to do. Teams with terrible quarterbacks need to do that. Lamar Jackson. Love Lamar Jackson. He's a great player. He's not. He's not a good thrower in the football. No, he's not. Let me tell you something. And honestly, honest to God, right now, if you were to choose five, how about this? Give me ten quarterbacks in the league that actually can throw with accuracy. Oh, there's a bunch of them. I would say seven quarterbacks I would trust in the league that you tell them I want you to make this throw, I want you to make that throw, I want you to make this throw. They can. Very few of them can make every single throw. Jeff, it's it's not as easy as it looks. I think a lot of them can. I don't know, man. It, it's not as what I've seen over the last couple of years, and, and I understand people look at the quarterback rating and they look at all these different things, these statistics right. and stuff like that, to try to narrate what these guys are on the field and how accurate they are. The accuracy is what could they do under pressure when a or when a, a defensive lineman or two defensive linemen are going to hit you? Are you going to make that over-the-shoulder pass like we see Josh Allen do in the playoffs, right. like we see Patrick Mahomes do, like we've seen Aaron Rodgers do or Tom Brady do? There are not a lot of quarterbacks. Dak Prescott tried to do that, and it was an interception. There are quarterbacks in this league. As good as they are when they are open, they can't do it when they're under pressure. Even Russell Wilson this past year, before he got hurt, he made mistakes when pressure was on him. Because he was forcing it into windows that he can't make those throws. So, honestly, I would say there might be five or six quarterbacks in this league. Matthew Stafford is not a quarterback when he's under pressure to be accurate. When he has the uh, the time, he's going to make every single throw. There are very few quarterbacks right now well, in this league everybody. that could do that. That's everybody. No, but, that, that's not, but that's not uh, – yes, you're right. That's everybody. But – I'm talking about the elite quarterbacks, the guys that can you know, or even if you put pressure on them, even Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's an accurate quarterback, even under pressure. I've seen Matt Ryan make throws th- this year against the Jets when the Jets out of pressure. Two guys on him. He threw the ball in places that I couldn't believe he threw the ball to. And who did he have to throw to? One guy? You know? I mean, like yeah, that was Kyle Pitts coming out party. <laughs> But there's 10 quarterbacks in this league right now I take on my team all day, every day. Wouldn't even care, I think. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about accurate quarterbacks that can make every single throw you tell them, even I, under I pressure. I think there's more than you think. I, I think there's five. Think. I think there's five. Dude, even down to Derek Carr. Look at Derek, look at the season Derek Carr had. He was terrific. That's fine. Under pressure, he was terrific. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Brady. He's still in the league, so count Brady. Say what you want. Aaron Rodgers. I said right? Brady. Josh Allen. Right, like, I said five or seven. I I be I would say five to seven quarterbacks that can make every single throw under pressure. And you probably named all of them. You probably named all right. of them. There's only like two quarterbacks in this league that can't make any throw, any Who? zero throws. Can Who? They make. Can Cam what what did you say, Speedy? I said uh, he's probably going to say Cam Newton. He can't make any throw. No, no, Cam Newton's retired. He's retired. He's not even in the league. Yeah. 
but it's Tom and Channing Hill and Tua. Those two can't make <laughs> any Tua. plays. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, John says Rams is probably the f- most dominant run first, then throw second. Then I would say the Saints and the Eagles. I would say the Rams used to be that when McVay first started. I don't know if they really have been that as much anymore. They're actually more than the more throw on first downs. And yeah, they might do some runs with their wide receivers. No, the most dominant run first, throw second is Tennessee. That's a fact. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Go look at the numbers. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. Tennessee does it, but maybe Baltimore does it more. I'm yeah, telling, yeah I'm but t- maybe maybe in terms of the like combined with the quarterback and the running back, yeah. But I would say but in terms of percentage, Speedy, you can't do that. You're being an asshole. Designed quarterback runs are a run play. You fucking idiot. All so right, yes, right. But right. in terms of rushing right. carries, what Jeff, what the percentage is definitely going to be skewed because those Ryan Tannehill doesn't run like Lamar Jackson. Hey, those are rushing carries. Those are. Those are rushing carries. Uh, John also says Brady, Burrow, Herbert, Carr, Allen, and Matt Ryan. And then, I, I don't know, John, I don't know if you forgot about Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in that list. So. Right, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. There's a ton of dudes out there that can do it. There's like, there's a, and listen, I don't I'm think Carr could do it. I, I don't think Carr could listen, do it under pressure. I don't. Getting, first of all, he did it last year, and he was great. Even after the whole Ruggs thing and John Gruden thing and all that, Carr did it, and he was great. The Raiders had no business making the playoffs, and he dragged them into the playoffs. That was a great performance. There are very, what I'm trying to say is there may be a two and a half handful of quarterbacks that could do it in the league. There are not dude, many. Dude, there's a lot of dudes that can do it, though. I think there's more. There's only two really shitty quarterbacks, and everyone else has a chance. And I'm, and I'm giving all of the young guys a pass. I don't care about Matt Jones or, or Zach Wilson or – or uh, just, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Lawrence or Justin Fields, they don't count because we don't know yet. Yeah. Right? We, we don't know. All right. Right? But, yeah, the, like, out of that, yeah, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm, I, Carson Wentz can still kind of do it. You, you know, I mean, he's not good, but he's not terrible. Hmm. Baker Mayfield with one arm was pretty good last year. Before we before we go, thank Jeff. You could stay on. Before we go, I I want to get into I, th- this weekend. I watched the Errol Spence fight, and Errol Spence to me is one of the best fighters right now in the world. And and having that horrific car accident, coming back as fast as he did, and just he's still undefeated, he's still dominating uh, his division right now in boxing, and now you know unifying all the belts in his division, and now calling all, calling out Terrence Crawford. By the way, Ugas is a very good fighter. He is a fantastic fighter, and he completely dominated the fight. I don't want to hear that Ugas t- not, not, kind of not had his – there were stories coming out that Ugas believed, believed that at one point he could, he could have knocked Errol Spence out because he knocked the mouthpiece out of his mouth. If you watch the fight, Errol Spence thought that the referee was holding on to him and calling – calling to try to push them off, and he caught him with a sucker punch. Now, Ugas, to me, is a very respectable guy. Even at the end of the fight, he showed he showed respect for Errol Spence in his training and what he is and what he's turned out to be as a professional fighter. But Terrence Crawford, you and I love Terrence Crawford. He's one of the best, uh, to me, unorthodox fighters in all of boxing. He's an undefeated fighter. He's been a dominant force for the last 10 years in boxing. Terrence Crawford hasn't fought anybody. He hasn't really beaten any top fighters in the last three or four years. And Errol Spence calling you out and telling you, you know, the things that he has said, not only to the fans, but throughout the different magazines that he's been interviewed through and everything like that. 
Just sign the contract and fight him. You want to be compared as one of the greatest Terrans of all time? Well, you've got to beat the best. And Errol Spence right now is the best in your, your division. And to me, Terrence Crawford, again, has been backtracking just as much as Canelo Alvarez has been backtracking to fight some of the fighters that he should be fighting because he doesn't want to get in the ring with them because he knows what's going to happen. No, he'd rather fight a Triple G who, yes, he's unified his belts in his division and he, and he wants to move up and wait because he doesn't want to fight the younger fighters that Canelo thinks that he can lose to or get knocked out from. Triple G is, what, 40 years old? He's past his time. By the way, he beat them both fights, and he got screwed in both of those fights. So Errol Spence has a lot to say, and he has every right to say it. This is a man that's been a – he had a car, a major car accident three years ago. His, his life was in, you know, in jeopardy. And he got back in the ring after a year and a half, and he's, he's fought three or four top-end fighters and beaten them all. And he's still undefeated. And Terrence Crawford is hiding under his bed, under his covers, under his pillows. That's what I'm going to say about that. And, and I, that's coming from a Terrence Crawford fan, a person that has a lot of respect for him. And I, I love his boxing style. He can fight southpaw. He can fight right-handed. He's a fantastic fighter. But when you go over there and you want people to fight in your hometown and you're, you're all about what you do and what you say and how you are in the ring, dancing and prancing, well, get in the ring and fight a real fighter. Uh, John Suggs says uh, Crawford will beat Spence in no, he my won't. opinion. No, he won't. No, we won't. Errol Spence, I'm going to – John, I, I don't know how many times you – how big of a boxing fan you are. I've, I, I'm a huge Terrence Crawford fan, and I'm a huge Errol Spence fan. Errol Spence is a stronger fighter, and he's just as fast as Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford, what makes Terrence Crawford so unique is his foot speed and his, his understanding of, uh, you know – um, angles and how he how he boxes to the angles, and he's he's uh, an unorthodox fighter. He can fight multiple ways. Errol Spence is an attacker. He's he's a guy that's going to go after you. Crawford likes to fight guys that back up against him. That he attacks him. If he attacks Errol Spence, Errol Spence will win the fight because Errol Spence is a guy that goes offensive every single. He's not a defensive fighter, so. I'm telling you right now, Crawford doesn't win that fight if that happens. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I don't think Crawford has the balls to do it. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. So that's why boxing sucks. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. And that's why I, I, there are so many good fighters in right now in in the whole world. And, and you have you have Canelo Alvarez, who's the biggest one of them all. And he's nitpicking his fights because he doesn't want to fight the guy. And by the way, when he does get into a ring with a fighter, he's paying off the fighter to pretty much – Throw down the fight because uh, he's getting the most money he's ever gotten paid. $16 million, $15 million. Kovalov, when he, Canelo fought Kovalov, Kovalov should have won that fight. I mean, Kovalov was, he fell to his knees twice in that fight. That was, uh, that was historic, historically terrible for boxing. And boxing is, it's not what it used to be. And it's completely pathetic. John Suggs says, Crawford congratulated Spence on the win on Twitter wow. and said, now the real fight happens. He added that he'll be coming after Spence's belt Good later luck. in the year. Good luck. I will, I'm, I'm willing to bet you that Terrence Crawford will not sign that contract. And if he does, it'll be his death wish. Okay? Because Terrence Crawford has never fought an elite fighter as good as Errol Spence. And that's a fact. Okay? And I've watched both, and I know boxing. 
Errol Spence is a guy, right now, he, he, he dieted. He didn't even diet by, like a lot of these boxers, these, these, these low, lightweight boxers. What they do is they drain themselves, they drain the water out of their body uh, a week before the fight. Errol Spence actually hired um, um, uh, a nutritionist, a, a professional nutritionist that got him to his weight where he was at the strongest point when he fought Ugas. Okay, so I'm telling you right now, if Terrence Crawford fights him, he better not drain himself. He better not put himself in a situation where he's not going to have the strength to get in a ring with this guy because this guy hits hard and he's a fast boxer and he's an offensive attacker. And he's not going to he's not going to back down on Terrence Crawford. That's for sure. John says Crawford fought Porter. Porter. Okay. listen, and I, I, I like Porter and Porter has fought some good fighters. Terrence Crawford fought Porter. When Porter just was coming off of a, a loss, I think it was, or he, he won a fight, then he lost another fight, and then it was like back and forth. Porter is a great fighter. Porter's lost multiple fights. Errol Spence hasn't lost a fight in his career. That's the difference. If you go look at Porter's record, the boxer Porter. What's uh, his first name? Hold on one second. I'll find it right now. The, 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 right now, with boxing, and, and like Jeff said, boxing, boxing, Sean Porter, uh, boxing has really been an up and down sport. It really hasn't contained, it hasn't been controlled. It's been controlled by the referees, it's been controlled by the judges. It's not what it used to be. I have 31 and 4 and 1. Yes. Yeah. He, and four of, the, four of those fights that Porter lost, three out of the four fights that he's lost, he's lost them in the last six years. Okay, but so it's even, but it's not even that. Like, you, this is this. And listen, I, I, you're going to give me the whole spiel about why you hate Dana White. Blah blah yeah. blah. We get it. You're not a fan, right? However, mm-hmm. this is what makes the UFC so great, and this is what has ruined boxing. Is this fight should have happened five years ago, and you can say yes. that with every fight that's yes. ever happened, right? We yep. we can we can go with. Um, Pacquiao Mayweather. Yep. That fight happened. Should have happened eight years before. Ten, yep. ten, yeah, 10 years before it happened, right? When, when people could actually throw punches. And, and what? You, you got that elderly man in the ring and everyone thought it was awesome? Yeah. Like, no. It was ten, like, this fight should have happened a long time ago. And, and listen, credit to Dana White. And I know you don't want to give but, yo, he says, I don't care what you like. This is who you're fighting, and he makes them fight. Yeah, but here's the problem. Dana White also nitpicks his fighters, especially Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor lost both those fights against Nate Diaz. Even in the second fight, he, they gave the ring. Uh, obviously, the judges gave it to Nate Diaz because they, he knew, Dana White knew, that if, if Conor McGregor lost that fight, his career was over. That, and, and right now, if Conor comes back, and whenever he comes back at whatever weight class he fights, if Conor comes back, if he loses, his career is over. And, and, and the UFC has made millions, millions off of Conor McGregor and his fans and what he is as a fighter. He, he likes to talk the crap that he likes to talk, and he's become the bad boy of mixed martial arts. So, yeah, you're right. But Dana White's also, uh, you know, played with the game and played with the judging and, and the referees. And to me... The game has completely it's changed. Not, Fighting is combat even, sports have changed. Even, but it's not even close because if you're nitpicking Dana White for that, you should be all over boxing for how terrible. Uh, that I, is. Who's the Australian? Who's the Australian kid? Or not even not even him. The Australian kid that beat Pacquiao in Australia that didn't beat Pacquiao for on that, ESPN. On ESPN, right? yes. On ESPN, right? yeah. we could go back to the Tim Bradley fight. Mm-hmm. Tim Bradley did not beat Pacquiao. They gave it to him. Dude, I could name a million fights where the judging has been rigged. So you can't pick on the UFC a couple of fights 
listen, I think the judge, first of all, the same judges that judge in MMA judge it in boxing. So they're the same judges. So it, it's it's not crazy. To, they are. There they're are. They're, it's, the same, it's the same association. It's not the same. It's not the same. Lo- there's far more corruption in uh, boxing. That's fine. There, there is because there, there's more money in boxing. <clears throat> that's why. Well, I don't know if there's more money. Oh, there's in a ton of money. There's a lot more money I'm not in saying boxing. There's no, I'm not saying there's no money in it, but I'm just saying it feels to me like the, most of the money Jeff, goes to the owners of UFC Jeff, rather than. Jeff, if you go to a professional card right now, most of those evening undercards are making between one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. On the undercards for the UFC, they're making ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. I know a bunch of fighters that fight for the UFC. I, I know I train with a bunch. Right, of them. right. But that, but this is what I'm saying. I I don't think there's a huge difference in like the money, the actual money. I just think there's a difference in where it's going. The endorsements. There, there's more endorsements, and no, it's prize owners, fighting. The owners of the UFC are getting more money. Yeah, right? but the, the, no, the no. Fighters aren't getting the money. All right. Where do these guys make the money? They make it on prize fighting, and they make it through the pay-per-views. There are more pay-per-view sales, even on the bad cards for boxing. There are more pay-per-view sales in boxing than there ever is in, in mixed martial arts. The only time mixed martial arts wins – uh, on those cards is is sometimes one or two times a year when Conor McGregor is the lead guy on those cards. He has really put MMA on his shoulders over the over the last couple of years. And now Conor, he has not won. I think he's lost. He's he's lost more than he's won in the last three years. And nobody cares about Conor anymore. He's made his money. He fought Floyd Mayweather. He 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 got his butt whipped and he had his socket blown out of his head. Um, but he made a hundred million dollars and then he bought that whiskey and now he doesn't even have to fight another day in his life. When he five six years ago he was on welfare in in in, in Ireland. So it's crazy when you see that, you know, you see different things happen for different people and how everything falls together for them. So I, right, I'm, but I'm just I'm just saying, I think the money's probably equal. It's just no, it's not. It's not. It's it, it, I'm telling you. Structure. Yes, the fighters are getting more money in boxing because there isn't like there isn't like an organization taking that money. The UFC is taking most of the money, which I think is unfortunate for the fighters in the UFC. But I. I I would just think that there's the equal kind of money going on. There, There is no equal money. I'm telling you, Jeff. You could go look it up. John says, out of the top 50 pay-per-view sales ever, boxing holds 25 spots while UFC only has 15. It's it's not even close. It, it's not even close. And and listen, a lot of those 15 that UFC has won, it was a lot of Conor McGregor and, and John Jones. And both guys, John Jones might never fight again. And Conor or Evander... Uh, uh, Anderson Silver, who, by the way, is retired. I mean, these guys aren't – they're looking for that next superstar, and they're just none. There really isn't. Now, I'm not saying there aren't great MMA fighters. They're not great mixed martial arts fighters and combat sports. I just think boxing still, even when it's at its lowest point, there are more better prize fighters out there, and there are a lot more belts out there than there are in mixed martial arts. So that's the difference. And too many weight classes. So many weight classes in boxing. Super middleweight, middleweight, light middleweight. I mean, it's just crazy. I still prefer UFC over boxing just because I, I it just, for me, it just feels like it's, it's better, right? Like you don't see, you, you don't see the shit that you see in, in boxing where people are like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to fight this dude. No, dude, stop being scared and fight the dude if you want to fight. Like I'm tired of, the nonsense. I'm tired of it already. Well, you, I you you robbed me of watching a great fight yeah. with 
Pacquiao and Mayweather. For years, you robbed me of that. And now you're going to pull bullshit? Nah, man. I'm, I'm all set with boxing. They're bums. Before we go, and we have a f- maybe a minute or two, what are you guys' thoughts, uh, obviously, with the Rangers and the Boston Bruins? Speedy, you first. I mean, the Rangers, did they win today? I'm not sure if they won. I didn't check that out. But the Rangers right now are securing the number two seed. Uh, they're back and forth. Uh, they yes, are, they did win they today. They did win nothing. Yep. Uh, Rangers win 50th win, third straight shutout. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Wow, good for them. That's a good sign, wow, too. We were terrific. talking about the goaltending woes about Shesterkin against these bad teams. Now, one of the shutouts was Georgiev uh, in between, mixed in there, but that's a good sign. It looks sign like Shesterkin's going to win the, the Venzina Trophy. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's going to happen. He he leads the league in goals against. He, he's I think he's second in save percentage. Yep. So um, I it, it it'd be very it'd be very surprising if he doesn't win the uh, goalie of the year award. Right now the Rangers are tied. Both the Hurricanes and the Rangers have played seventy seven games, one hundred six. I told each. you, and I, I heard the beef say it. If the Rangers get the number one seed, he's going to be scared because they're going to be matched up against one of those teams that he right. doesn't want to, like the Bruins. Yeah, the Bruins—they've had a pretty good playoff identity for the most part. Really, the Lightning have been the only teams that have given them the most fits, and the Blues in the Cup. But still, like that, the Bruins have played well pretty much against everyone else. Where, yeah, I would agree with that. Where the Penguins—we've seen their playoff identity since they won the Cup. It hasn't been the same. They lost to the Capitals. They got blown out the way they did by the Islanders. Those couple times too so I'm not as worried about that right now Carolina has the tiebreaker based on regulation wins right now so they stay as the one seed and that's the exact scenario I've been wanting all year we're just as them to play the Penguins mm. Jeff how about you uh Bruins Rangers in the first round what are your thoughts to that if that happens how is so first of all I'm very confused on yeah. this yeah how is that even possible because I, I thought Weren't they still playing in division? Because I thought it was... No. The, it goes back to the old format. So if the Rangers won the division, they would play the... When did that first... change? It, was, it only changed for the one year, year last year because of the shortened season. From 2013, when they changed this format from the five teams in each division, mm. when they had the when they had three divisions in each conference, they've always Wait, had but... it where the division winners will always play against wild cards yeah. no matter what division they were in. Right, but even pre-COVID, they were, they were playing... You know the 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 Met division played you know one and four in the Met division and then two and three in the Met you know like two and three always play in whatever division it might have looked that way because the Metropolitan tends to get all five teams for whatever reason the Atlantic's always very top heavy I mean there are obviously some exceptions like when Ottawa got in and stuff like that but like it's always seemed that way same thing with the West like the Central usually has all those wild card teams and the Pacific's always top heavy too so it may look that way in particular years but it's not the exact format where the Rangers would still end up playing the Bruins right now if they do end up winning the division. Right now, Carolina's still in the lead, where Boston's so owned Carolina in the playoffs. Rangers and Bruins? Yep. It's going to be Rangers If the Rangers do win the, the division. If they win the division, it will be the Rangers and Bruins in the first round of the playoffs. Yep. Oh, delicious. <laughs> you just want to take it out on Tyler, don't you? And the Beav. <laughs> and the Beav. And the Beav. Oh, dude. Everything the Beav likes stinks. <laughs> like, actually stinks. Well, Tyler, Tyler. Oh, he's an idiot. Tyler is every time the Rangers win. I bet you if I look at Tyler's post right now, it's Rangers win. We're we're in first place. He he is so gullible. He really really thinks the Rangers are going to the Stanley Cup finals this year. Look, I'm not really all that high on this Bruins team right now. I'm I'm not like I think that they can't. The, The problem is they got young guys in goal. 
right? Yeah. You, got, you know, they, you know, and they got a lot of injuries. Pasternak's been hurt. Bergeron's been hurt. They haven't had their whole team. I did like them getting uh, Hampus Lindholm yes. uh, out of Anaheim. I think he adds with a, you know, left-handed shot on D. I think that they can win a round or two. I'll be curious to see who they go with in goal, whether it's going to be Linus Olmark or if it's going to be Jeremy Swayman, who, who knows what's happening there. But all that being said, and I don't have high expectations for the Bruins this year, but I will say, what an organization. You've made the playoffs 15 out of the last 17 years. You want to talk about consistency? Give me the Boston Bruins. The only two years they missed the playoffs, too. They were the first team out, too. So it's not like even they were that bad. And you got the yeah, two, I mean, and you got the two the two best defensive players in that series are both Long Islanders, mm-hmm. McAvoy and Fox, two guys that are from the same area and and very good friends. Both families are very very close. I mean, both guys have played against one another uh, when they were younger, so that will be an interesting series. And I would love to see it. I I, I think Boston matches up very well against the Rangers, very well. It, it's just the goaltender. It's just the goaltending that the uh, the Boston Bruins have to worry about. But the Bruins, I think all 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 around, I think the Bruins have the better defensive pair, a pair of defensemen. So going into this series, I mean, the Rangers will be the favorites because they're the number one team in in, in the Eastern Conference. But I still think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins knock them off, especially how very close these teams are built against one another. Now, Jeff, if they do end up right now, it's still Carolina. Boston has owned Carolina. Would you still think they would want that more, you think, or still no, rather no, have the Rangers? I, I would dude, want to play Carolina the Rangers. Is, yeah, no, I'd much rather have the Rangers. Yeah, Carolina, okay. I, I don't care what anyone says. Carolina is an unreal team, dude. Yeah, I do too. I think that way. Unreal well. team. They, the, like, the problem for Boston is putting the puck in the net. And they kind of have some iffy goalies going on, right? They, right? they do. And so they need to play a team that, like, you know, look, the range is good. They can score. I'm not trying to knock them in, in, in any way. They're not nearly the offensive juggernaut that Carolina can be. Carolina. And, and, and go and look at it this year. Uh, Svechnikov, terrifying. And, yeah, they got, they're loaded, yeah. Right, and go and look at it this year. The, the Carolina Hurricanes beat the Bruins 7-1 and 6 nothing this year. Yeah. They can score, man. Where the, the Rangers pay, play more of like, not that the Rangers don't have guys that can score. Panarin's very good, and Zabenejad's very good, and I'm not trying to knock those guys and say that they're not. I, but two guys isn't, you know, 10 guys that Carolina has. Yeah, Carolina right? scored 18 more goals this year than the Rangers have, yeah. Right, but they play kind of more of a slower, more plotting kind of game, and I think that that's a better matchup for the Bruins because the Bruins don't have a ton of speed. You know, Marshawn can skate, Pasternak can skate, and Jake DeBrus can skate. And beyond that, Boston's not all that fast. You know, so give me the Rangers all day, every day. And that's and that's not uh, that's not saying the Bruins are going to win, and that's why I want that. Not, no, I, I just think it's because Carolina is just that much worse of a matchup for Boston. I think the the Bruins, uh, the Rangers are a better matchup for the Bruins. Absolutely, right? Yeah, yes. I, I think by far. I don't even think it's close. No, and 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 the Rangers have had a good season. And listen, I, I like Galan. He has taken teams to the 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 uh, NHL Stanley Cup Finals. He's never won, and that is that's the thing. And we've seen this before. I think Galan is the perfect guy uh, to lead this team moving forward. But again, I've said this. The Rangers bring uh, New York teams bring these guys in. They have a good first or second year, and then these guys 
wear out their welcome. I want to see what Gallant does next year when teams understand how the Rangers play. Well, how these players are going to play under his uh, his way, uh, offensive way of playing. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see next year how they play. He's not Galan is not Barry Trotz. No. That's that's the difference. Right. Barry Trotz, he, he could change up his defense. He could change up his scheme. And even this year, look at what the Islanders have done in the second half of the season. With the bad first half they have, the Islanders have more. Uh, what do they have? The third or fourth most wins out of any team in the second half of the season. So that has a lot to do with Barry Trotz and, and, and the, uh, the the belief in in the um, the style of game that the Islanders play. So, but the, I, I think the Bruins Rangers in the first round would be fantastic. It'd be fun to watch. Really would. Oh be. my God, dude! How much fun do you think our text spread will be? Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. You don't think that'll be? You don't think that'll be fun? You don't think I'm going to torture that little coleslaw maker? <laughs> Jeff, How do you think that's going to turn out? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know, but it'll be fun. Don't let don't let this happen. I pray to God, dear six pound eight ounce baby Jesus, <laughs> don't let this happen because I will torture the bees. Well, I think it's going to happen because I think Carolina's going to let the Rangers win the division, win the the conference, so they they get a better matchup. I really who, do. Who, who does Carolina play? If, Washington. Right, right. They would oh, play. Oh yeah, that's a, no, uh, no. Florida looks like they're going to play Washington because Carolina can't catch up to them. So there's there's three scenarios that could happen. So Carolina wins the division, they'll play against the Bruins. If Carolina loses, they'll play against the Penguins. The Penguins. Yeah. The other scenario too well, is see, the Bruins like, could still, like still also surpass. The Bruins could still also surpass the Lightning and be third. Then they play against Toronto, and then Tampa Bay would play either the Rangers or Carolina. Mm. But if I'm but if I'm Carolina, that's what I would want to do. They don't get, dude. The better matchup is if they win because they they'll they'll smoke the Bruins. They'll smoke them, dude. The, dude, the, the matchups didn't lie this year. Seven one, six nothing. Mm. It was crazy. If I'm Carolina, I'm trying to get the Bruins mm. because their offensive firepower will just honestly will take advantage of Bruins' weaknesses. I I think Carolina would probably rather play Pittsburgh than the Bruins. That's what I think. Well, anyone should want to play Pittsburgh right now because didn't Jerry break his foot? Yes. Uh-huh. And and they don't have the goaltending. And they didn't have – in the second half, they've, they've given up more goals than any team in the Eastern Conference that's making the playoffs. So, and their offensive depth is not great either like it used to be. Well, if those are the two choices, then maybe Carolina would no. prefer that because, you know, because Pittsburgh doesn't have a goalie. Right. Only, but, only Toronto – and no Flo- one should want to play Toronto, by the way. Austin Matthews can't stop scoring. Only Toronto and Florida have have uh, a worse goals against than the Bruins. I mean, than the uh, um, than the Penguins have so far. In, in, the teams are making in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. So that's a. I I expect. I expect Pittsburgh to have problems going into the playoffs, even with the record they have, and Sidney Crosby playing the way he is. Right. Who's playing? It's just a matter of there. can they finally get depth? Because all those back-to-back cup teams, they all had, it was all because of the young players emerging. Most of all, that's how Gensel broke out. That's how guys like Brian Rust broke out initially. When and then they had the random veteran guys that stepped up. Will they get that again? Is another question because the defense actually has been a little better overall from their skaters from the Penguins than we've seen in years past too. But the goaltending, like you said, is still very random with them. And then their offensive depth. Because of the cap issues they've had, they've they have to patch that together like they did with their two cup teams. I'm worried. For, I'm worried about Mike Sullivan, man. That's what what's on my mind. I'm worried for him. Mm. 
Maybe. I mean, his job could be. His yeah, job it, could, it could be. be. Yeah, to, it could be. I used to play golf every weekend with Mike Sullivan, and he was awesome. Him, Reggie Lemlin, and Ray Bork, they're all awesome freaking dudes. Nice. You know, and it's such a crazy hockey family too, because Mike Sullivan's brother uh, has a son and a daughter, hmm. and you know he's like in the financial world. And his brother George, his daughter married uh, Connor Sheary. Oh wow! Okay. They are yeah, they are like hockey. They're like a hockey crazy family, and I play golf with them all the time. And Mike can't catch a break, dude. Like he just can't. Like. He has good teams, and they just don't give him enough to really get over the hump since they won the cup that time. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they've they cashed up themselves badly. Then they fired that GM, so well, now they're what, trying to make it work. And what happen, Whatever happens to Mike, if he if he does get fired, he's going to get a job right away. Yeah. Somebody's going to hire him. He's a Stanley Cup champion, so he's. I, it's very hard to find coaches uh, that are in the league still that understand the speed of the game. Uh, and, and if Mike Sullivan gets fired, he's going to get a job one, two, three somewhere out there. So yeah, but yeah, but whatever job that you're going to get offered is a worse job. Yeah, of course. Job. Sure. What, you know, like whatever job you're going to doesn't have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you know who's a- you know who's dating Mike Sullivan's uh, daughter? McElvoy. McElvoy's uh, McElvoy's dating Mike Sullivan's daughter. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, makes a lot of sense. Yep. It makes a lot of like yeah. They I mean, they're all Boston dudes, bro. Mm-hmm. They're all Boston guys. Like Mike lives in Marshfield, George lives in Ipswich. Like they all are from up there. They all, you know, he goes back home and and uh, you know, play, plays golf all summer there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Great dude too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like and I and I don't think that you'd realize this. Dude, he's huge. He's huge. Mike Sullivan could come off the bench and fight some of these NHLers. <laughs> He's enormous. He was a big, Dude, he was a big NHL player. Find, find a way when you're out doing these things, you know, to, to get an interview with him and stand next to him. I guarantee you're going to be like, holy shit. This dude looks small on TV. He's huge in person. I mean, I, I was when when uh, Craig Baruby won the Stanley Cup, and I was on the ice. I, I was very surprised how big he was, and I met him at the draft too uh, when they won the Stanley Cup, St. Louis. And I was like, "Wow!" I told Ashley, "I was like, this guy is a big man." Like I said, we we played a bunch of golf together. You have to see Mike Sullivan in shorts. <laughs> you won't see a thicker pair of like hockey legs. You don't, you don't like when you just see those yes, huge yes. quads. And, yes. Dude, Mike Sullivan has a pair of the biggest legs you've ever seen. Well, don't tell him that. He'll be afraid to even go out and play golf with you now. <laughs> no, because no, we would laugh about it all the time because shorts don't fit him right. He's just too thick. You know, same with Ray Bork. Do you know how thick Ray, and Ray's gained a little bit of weight? But do you know how thick Ray Bork I was, is? I was on the elevator at the Stanley Cup Finals with Ray Bork. He doesn't even he didn't even say anything. He was so quiet. I mean, quiet as hell. His his daughter's pretty attractive too, by the way. You know? Dude, they, they put, dude, this is the greatest thing on the planet. After that, we got to go. So Ray plays in the Ray's a member of a bunch of golf clubs in the Boston area, mm-hmm. and so is Reggie Lemley. And so they all like to be, those two guys like to be each other's like member guest partner uh-huh. at, at, at their respective golf clubs. And the entire weekend, they don't speak English. The entire weekend, no English will be spoken because no one else in that area, because, you know, they're really competitive golfers, like really, really competitive golfers. And it's hilarious 
they switch right into the French Canadian for the whole weekend. <laughs> so people won't know like what clubs they're hitting or when they're talking strategy, they go right into the French Canadian. It's hilarious. Dude. Gotta love that French Canadian trash talking. Hey, no, no, but they just do it with each other when they're talking about like club selection or which way the wind's oh, okay. going or what, like whatever. Right. They don't. Yeah. They, there's no, they don't want their, dude, they take it pretty serious. It's so awesome to watch. It really is hilarious. I heard, I heard Cam Neely was a good uh, golfer. He was a scratch golfer. I don't know. It, yeah. yeah, he's pretty good. He plays out of uh, Charles River Country Club. Yeah, that's what I heard. I, the, somebody told me he's a scratch golfer. So, interesting. There's a bunch of them that are really good, dude. Yeah. There's a bunch of hockey players that are. I grew up a right. Cam Neely fan. So, I, I, I hated the Boston Bruins, but I loved Cam Neely. I thought he was mean. And he was rough, and he always pissed. He was, he was a mean SOB. And uh, I loved him in the uh, Dumb and Dumber movies, too. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. You want another dude that plays up there a lot, like mm. plays a ton and is really good? Mm. Believe it or not, Ryan Whitney. Mm. I remember Ryan, Ryan Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. Ryan Whitney plays a ton of, like, amateur events and stuff. Hmm. A ton. Interesting. Yeah, really good player. Anyways. There's a lot of them up there, though. Anyways, Jeff, thanks for calling, bud. Always a pleasure, boys. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank Bruce Maxwell for joining us. He was fantastic. We really appreciate his time and his his fiance's time as well. Yes. Um, we will be back on Thursday at 9 p.m., so stay tuned and, uh, you know, take care. Take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.